From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 106. My name is Simon Forster, and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello, hello. And I've, I've got to say that, that according to Ricardo Bayon of... Uh, Instagram fame and best vintage lens. Uh, this this show is actually now called Classic Classic Lenses on Leica Rangefinders, um, and I think that's right. largely because yeah, he has, uh, Ricardo has completely succumbed to uh, listening to you guys just going on and on and on every week about rangefinder lenses. Guilty. Well, tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to say. Um, is, is a little bit of balance. There's a reasonable chance we weren't actually talking that much about rangefinder lenses this week um, because we have because a Because you're going to be showing us your St. Louis vibes, right? <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I knew what that meant, then probably. <laughs> um, but uh, we, have a, we have a guest, a returning guest and a special guest for us as well. Um, and I'm particularly pleased that we have Anil Mystery with us and more importantly, he's, it's, he's here in much, much, uh, a much more positive light than uh, for, than, than last time. Because uh, for those of you who can remember, uh, Anil was with us in the with our first show back after Carl passed away, um, and he held the hands of uh, Johnny, myself, and helped us get through and, and helped yeah, us get back indeed. on the road again. Wow, has it been that? Has it been that long? It has. Yes. Wow! Wow! Well, uh, so, um, yeah, absolutely delighted to have Anil back. So, uh, welcome to the show again, Anil. Uh, thank you very much, Simon, and it's lovely to be here. Hi, guys, and hello, hey. listeners. Yeah. So, uh, right, well, what we're going to do, because Anil has got an absolute shed load of stuff to talk about, um, and as I've already hinted there, there's very little in the way of rangefinder lenses. So, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's head over to the world of Anil, um, because I think where we're going to go to first is uh, you did the, uh, you were part of the sister event uh, to the Southern 16 uh, podcast walkabout that I did in Oxford, uh, now two weeks ago now, um, and you did one in Worthing, and it went pretty well from what I can gather. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it started in an interesting way, because I, I wasn't planning on doing any walks at the beginning of the year, because I've been quite busy, and then um, Aid got in touch with me and he said he was thinking of doing something in Worthing. Um, and I thought, yeah, well, let's jump in and do something together. So, uh, and then he went and decided that he'd like to be there at 7 a.m. to catch a sunrise over the pier. And, uh, that's a bit earlier than I normally like to get up on a Saturday, but um, I thought that could, could be cool. So what I did was um, suggest that we have two start times. So we have a 7 a.m. for the sunrise and then a 10 a.m. second start where other people could join us, uh, more sane people. Um, you could join us and get up on a Saturday morning um, at a reasonable time. So uh, that was an interesting uh, shoot. I mean, it started at 7 a.m. I was, it was, I live on Shoreham Beach, so it's a little peninsula on the south coast. And to get to the mainland, to get to the mainland, it's only about a 20 meter bridge, but you have to get over it to get to the railway station. And for some reason, it was closed that morning. So I was in a mad panic to get to the station. It was, I mean, it was night, basically. It was pitch black. Um, got to the pier. Um, I was the first one there. And I was thinking, Jesus, what the hell am I doing here? There's not even a coffee shop open yet. Um, and then, um, quite interestingly, about seven people turned up for the 7 a.m. Uh, moment. Um, it was fun because it was overcast. So there wasn't really a sun to see rising. But 
to be honest, it was really lovely just to see that <laughs> see some light emerge um, over the horizon because it, it was so dark and cold. And then um, we had a good old wander around um, the uh, lovely sights of Worthing, of which there aren't much. I mean, the, the sea there is fantastic. <laughs> you, organ- but- <laughs> you organise a walk around a place where there's not much to see. <laughs> well, I-, I thought it'd be cool because it was it was Aid's idea. Um, to try Worthing and I thought why not I've never done a walk there and normally I do uh, Brighton walks because um, it's nearer to me and also it's a lot easier um, in terms of street photography or t- a type of street photography I, I would say um, so Worthing was an interesting challenge in that firstly it's not as big and sprawling as Brighton um, we had uh, probably about 14 people turn up in the end um, so a nice bunch of us and there's not loads to see in Worthing um, so once the pier walk bit was over in the morning and then I sort of took over from 10 o'clock, I had to really have a good think about where we we're going to go and made sure we weren't, you know, if anything, the challenge was to just keep everyone busy and weaving around streets and trying out little corners and things. And it worked out really well in that um, for a start over, overlooking um, the sea in Worthing and Worthing Lido um, is an amazing sort of brutalist 70s car park. Um and it's just, just a big ominous chunk of concrete uh, with these really big geometric holes where you can look out over the sea. But outside the front of it is this sort of just flat sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, apron of land. And it turned out that in the afternoon when the sun came out, it was a really bright day. There was a, a whole bunch of lads just uh, hanging around there, teenage boys listening to their grime music, trying to in- impress the bunch of little teenage girls who were sort of sat close to them, but not close enough. It was a, you know anthropologist's dream. Um, and, but these guys um, all had their mountain bikes and they were doing wheelies. So we had this lovely flat piece of land with this lovely stark block of a building behind, bright sunlight, and these kids in their threes and fours doing, going up and down this strip doing wheelies together. And we got talking to them and they, they, you know, we started controlling them a bit and let, told them when to go. And so everyone got some really nice shots there. Also in Worthing, there's a museum. And um, I love local little town museums because they're always a bit crappy and fun in their own way. But what was cool was there was an exhibition of uh, coastal photography uh, from a woman. I've forgotten her name. I think it was Sarah Williams. But they were lovely shots. Um, what they... I think they were shot in a place called the Witterings, which is on in West Sussex. And the Witterings is interesting because it's the first bit of sand you start to get from when you go west of Brighton. But also when the tide is low, you can, I mean, you can walk out for probably uh, half a mile. Um, and the water is, you know, between ankle and knee height. So you, it, it's really eerie and dreamlike. So the, the, the photography in this exhibition featured photographs that this woman had taken from a quite a high aerial perspective of just rows of people just walking into the sea and nothing else. And it was really strange because these people were fully clothed, but they almost looked like some weird death cult <laughs> who were just wandering off into the sea. And, but the, the point was they were walking so, at such a distance, you expect the sea to get deeper as you go into it, but it wasn't. Um, so it was just a, re- a really nice selection of shots, well-framed uh, and interesting to look at. So that took up a bit of time. And then I had, obviously, we had some pub stops and there's lots of nice craft beer places in Worthing. And a friend of mine had opened a a bottle shop, so we ended up there as well. So it it was a pretty good day. Um, It it was a good day for Worthing. And I think one of the challenges with Worthing is is that it's not 
Brighton. And by that, I mean Brighton is great because I almost imagine Brighton for street photography of all types is great because it's like the whole city is like a cool part of London that where they don't mind you doing street photography, like I would say Soho or Carnaby Street, where people are in a positive mindset that they're looking around. They expect cool shit to be going on around them. Whereas Worthing is a bit of a South Coast uh, granny pensioner town, a um, little bit down in the dumps. And, you know, it's the people there, I, I call it suspicious. You, you get areas where yeah. you walk around with a camera, people get suspicious. So I, you know, I took a few street shots, but luckily there was enough coastal stuff to shoot. And also I just wasn't in the mood to get into it with anybody. Uh, and take that risk or bother. So I got a few street portraits, but generally most people were happy shooting architecture, um, the water and light and shadow and things. Um, and you know, if there was, if there was anyone with me who wanted to try street photography, you know, for the first time, I probably wouldn't have recommended that as a place simply because it is a kind of place where, you know, choose the wrong person. You'll get a crowd of idiots around you and you can get smack in the mouth. Um, or equally, you just end up with loads of people saying no, and that's a more likely thing to happen. And they, they, what happens is then it just puts you off it, you know, because um, street photography is so dependent upon your confidence a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, if you have positive experiences, it spurs you on to push yourself into other places. Whereas if you start and try it out in a place where it's just not conducive in the first place, uh, it can just affect your view on how you do it in future. Um, so, so looking yeah. at a map uh, on Google Maps, yeah. Worthing seems to be sandwiched in between a place called Lansing and a place called Goring by Sea. So it sounds like what you're saying is those places are named after what they do to street photographers sometimes. Uh, I would say yes, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a good day. And um, I know there was one going on in Oxford and apparently we were competing um that's but we had chips and we had a beach so i I think think we won um well (laughs) there there was a there was a bit of competition going on largely because of graham jago of the of the of the uh, sort of 16 podcast um sort of um tweeting out as or uh, sort of making it well known that that there were more people in oxford uh, than there were at worthing i mean there's 22 versus um, was it 14 you got in the end yeah we got about 14 which was good for Worthing, actually. Oh, I've just realised I've just been talking over it and I was muted. Oh dear. <laughs> um, do we do we just want to go back a little bit because that that's going to sound absolutely awful, isn't it? Sure. No, I I, I heard I you. Heard you. Yeah, we oh, heard, okay. we oh, heard okay. you, Simon. That's good because yeah. I couldn't hear myself at one point, so it's just really odd. So uh, okay, we'll just gloss <laughs> over that and just um, just pretend that yeah. that was absolutely fine. <laughs> You're not supposed to be able to hear yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean, anyway. But I, 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 wasn't, get, I wasn't getting any kind of reactions, and I, yeah, which is sometimes when I do try try and say something funny, and I think to myself that wasn't that good, and then YouTube, <laughs> everyone else just goes completely silent, and the tumbleweeds come across. Yeah, but I thought it was, I was thinking it wasn't really one of those moments, was it? <laughs> You're good. Well, now you've done it, Simon. Well, you killed that now, Simon. Thanks. <laughs> this conversation has come to an abrupt halt. <laughs> well, that was uh, episode 209 of this. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for being here, Arnold. <laughs> 
so where will we go? We'll go talking about Oxford, won't we? Uh, well, we, we will. Although to be fair, we we, we talked quite a bit about Oxford uh, last yeah. week, and that was a that was a that was a really really good walk. And it's it's great that uh, you had a, a good walk out there. I mean, you, you mentioned quite a few things about what uh, what you did out there, and uh, when you mentioned about those um, those young people with um, BMX bikes and things like that, I was thinking, oh, I hope he's I hope he's going to say that you know they got in, they started to talk to him and they and they engaged with them to get some get some photos and uh, which is exactly what happened so i'm really looking forward to seeing those images come out yeah that i mean that was a classic for me that was again I, as i said earlier that was an anthropologist's dream uh because they those the guys were showing off to the girls who were sat there you know you see it in every city center of in any country around the world you'll see guys hanging around showing off in one way or another and you'll see a bunch of girls sitting there sort of watching them and giggling away wanting to be impressed and so in a situation like that it was clear that you know if i went up to them i had a chat or you know we started watching them it, it spurred them on and they were enjoying it and we were having a good time uh photographing them so it was it was, it was really nice to uh, that that was one of those classic things of that i love in street photography is that you turn a corner and suddenly you come across something and for me, it's that nothing ventured, nothing gained thing. You know, um, if we hadn't had gone that way, we wouldn't have seen it. But that took, you know, we spent a good 30, 40 minutes there. Um, and the people on the walk have started to post the shots they took uh, from there. I'm still waiting for mine because oh, this is my other problem at the moment. I, I went through this whole period of, well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. I've been shooting a lot more digital, but I, I've suddenly got back into shooting lots of films. So I've now got about 20 rolls waiting to be oh, yeah. developed and scanned, you know, going back for about God knows how long. Um, so I'm waiting. I'm going to have to sort all that out and see what kind of shots I got. Um, but that, that part of that um, whole process was I, I pulled out my Nikon FM3A. I took that for the day, but I hadn't used it for a while. And it's, it's like that thing of, you know, when you're, from going from um, I've never driven an automatic but I'd imagine if you're driving an automatic and then you go to stick shift and you go just there's that little mental play of okay I'm doing this I'm doing that and this is how I do x y and z um, the, the thing with the FM3A is with the shutter uh, winding uh, lever if it's pressed fully in it, essentially the camera's off it's locked mm -hmm. and I kept forgetting because I've been so used to my ME super uh, where you just wind it and shoot and so I'd set up for the perfect shot and then I'd suddenly remember I had to unlock the thing and then it was too late um, so it took me a while to get back into yeah. um, this, the swing of that camera. Um, and part of me was like, oh, God, I just wish I'd brought my D850. <laughs> I would have got a, a hundred shots. In fact, I did have it. I, I did have it, actually, but it was in the bag. But I had one camera out, but I, I didn't want to switch over. But um, again, that's all the joy of film, right, fellas? Well, here's, yeah. here's the thing. Yeah, you're, you're out there. You're an accomplished street photographer. And you you regularly break the street photographer's law by using an SLR camera. How how can that be? How can you get good photographs, street photos, with an SLR camera? Because everybody knows you have to use a rangefinder or especially a Leica. Uh, well, I, I think that's all bullshit. Because uh, <laughs> I think with a rangefinder, I think obviously you, depending upon what lens you're using, you have the area outside of your field of view. Um, you know, outside of your frame lines that you can see within a shot, so you can sort of capture that moment. But frankly, it depends where you are. Because I was standing in 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 right in the middle of these guys. I stood in their path, so they actually wheelied either side past me. So I was smack in the middle of them. And if I had a rangefinder, I'd be dicking around with that for ages. Whereas, annoyingly, if I'd had my Pentax ME Super with my 51.7, which I've, it feels so instinctive to me, I could just focus very quickly. And I like to 
I love rangefinders because they're such cool cameras, but I've also realized that I, for me, the SLR and just actually seeing exactly what I'm going to get or seeing something hit focus makes me feel one bit less removed from reality than a rangefinder where you have to having to just assume and trust in those frame lines to know that it's in focus, in trust on the patch. Um, and so for the kind of way I shoot, um, I'm, I'm more likely in that situation to use um an slr so you mentioned that you guys like convince these kids to basically do stuff you know pose for you guys and ride for you guys to take shots yeah so in the sense that they were doing it anyway and then right. we came along and what we said that oh guys could you all do it all three together and did then, anyone yes we're going no that was it yeah yeah did anyone have um because the first thing that comes to mind in, in that kind of scenario is did anyone have like an uber wide lens uh, and get like right down to the ground and have, one, have someone do a wheelie right over them? Because that would be uh, a badass shot with uh, some backlight. I think I was the only one who decided to get in the middle of them. Because <laughs> uh, when kids on them, they weren't on BMXs either. They were on mountain bikes, so they've got less control. So if one of those things fell on you, uh, you know, I tried to get as low as possible. Um, and quite a few of the people were shooting quite wide, uh, but um, they stayed in a more sane position. Um, so I was the only one who sort of went in and amongst them. But again, if I'd had my DSLR set up, I'd be in there and I'd be... You know, I'd, I'd have hundreds of shots, but I didn't. <laughs> oh man, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's interesting because you know some of the stuff I've been shooting recently. I've been shooting a lot with a twenty-eight, um, often on digital on my Ricoh GR point and shoot because it. I'm trying to force myself to play angles a little bit more. Yeah. So when you were describing that scenario, I was just thinking, like, man, the one shot that would totally. Uh, that I would totally want to make is I would just get straight on the ground, you know. Well, but you know, yeah, dying is a bad outcome. Of <laughs> but that—that's the camera I'm missing. Uh, it's not the GR2, but uh, this is going back to you know, uh, it, it breaks my heart. I I bought a Fuji X70 when they first came out, mm-hmm. and that's the only camera. That camera got me a five-page published spread in black black and white photography magazine of oh, a project nice. I did with it, and. Um, I loved it. Great lens, 28 mil equivalent, and uh, it was small and quiet, but it had this beautiful way that it visualized your um, depth of field, um, you know, your, your zone, if you like, what was in the focus and what was out, out based upon what f-stop you were at and whatever. So I used to just walk around with it um, sort of as if my hand was loose, just uh, on the floor, so just around my hip. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even be looking at it, and I'd be—I can walk past people, and I got really good at just cracking away shots because the camera was totally silent, and no one knew I was shooting because it was black. Oh, I shoot like that with the GR all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah awesome. the small form factor, and it was great. But then um, I was umming and ahhing about the GR2, so then I sold it and decided to get a GR2, and then I got, as you do on Facebook, you go down rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. I found a Facebook group where everyone, all the GR2 owners, were moaning about the dust problem on the sensor. And because the design of the camera, you can't open right. it up and clear the dust. So by the time my GR2 arrived, I sent it straight back, got a refund. And, and I thought, you know what, I'll wait for the GR3. So then I waited about, what, a year and a half? And Man. the GR3 turned up, and it was stupidly expensive for what it was. Yeah. 24 megapixels, fair enough, but still the dust sensor issue and no flash. So suddenly... I wanted to go back two steps and get my X70, which now is, those cameras are now selling for more than they were originally on the market for. Well, if it makes you feel any better, 
If yeah. it makes you feel any better, people have figured out how to do this, and there's at least one repair guy in Hong Kong who will uh, de-dust a Ricoh GR2 for the equivalent of like 10 pounds. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, but then I, I've, I've started to also, through my digital journey, I've, I've become a bit resolution hungry because, oh. um, and that's why the XF10 appeals to me, potentially, uh, because the fact that you can crop into things and not lose quality. And yeah. again, it just suits my, also part of me is just a little bit suspicious of, I, I, I know the Fuji has its own um, array in the way it sensors work. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. I, Whereas, I, yeah, I, I don't think that camera has an X trans sensor though. No, the XF10 doesn't. Yeah. But the X70. The 70, did. yeah. Yeah. yeah, the XF10. Yeah. That's what appeals to me about the XF10 is that I think that it would have a bit more latitude. Yeah, uh, to play yeah, with, I think so. uh, with the raw files. Yeah, um, as long as you don't need the the tilty screen because it. Oh, I don't give that. a damn about the screen. Okay, because yeah, I, I, I even use it. I need, don't even use autofocus when I use yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's 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 sort of like a um. I don't want to call it a cheapened down version of the seventy, but it kind of is. Yeah, it's but got it's, the same it's, lens. Yeah, it's no worse than the GR3, and it actually has a flash, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, and then, well, this is the problem. Then I looked at the GR3, and I thought, wow, 800 pounds. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, But then that's <laughs> the same price as now of Fuji X-Pro2. Yeah, and yeah, all The yeah. dust problem on the GR2 is not that big of a problem. Um, when you read online, every single I camera yeah. sounds like it's going to die the next time you're going to use it, right? And I do look after, you know, <laughs> a camera like that, I'd always have it in a case and things. I'd, I look after my kit, but um, it would just annoy me. Dude, um, I just keep mine in my pocket all the time, and I there's maybe one speck of dust from years of use in, right. in the sensor. Okay. And I, you can only see it if I'm at, like, F16, which is never. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's all good. But but then on that front, I've been getting really good at just using my Nikon D850, which is a big monster of a camera. Uh, with mm. I put I put the 24 uh, mil oh, yeah, on fair. it, and then I just again walk around with that just at hip height, and because the width of the shot and the you know I can crop the hell into things and find moments that that really work, and the the image quality is stunning. So. Um, basically, I think I'm just looking for an excuse to buy another camera, guys. So, yeah. dude, there, <laughs> we, we, there we, is, we're glad to encourage you with that. Well, I'll be <laughs> yeah, with I'm that. on the right show. There yeah. is, um, there's a feature on the GR2. You know, the way that you said you'd like to shoot the X70 yeah. um, with, the, with the sort of Fuji depth of field scale. Oh, there's a feature focus. on the GR2. Uh, well, yeah, snap focus, which I think they now have on the X Pro 3 and the X100V. Am I right about that or am I wrong? I'm not sure, but I, I do. What I loved about the Fujis was the way it visualized your scale, the, the distance. It, yeah, the little the, thing on the bottom, right? Yeah, a little sort of yeah. digital ready reckoner that just just readjusted every time you change your f-stop. Oh, it's um, wonderful, and it's so instinctive and, and so nice to use. So, yeah, I think I'm oh, I, I'm going to have to pull the trigger on something at the moment at some point. But uh, well, in our pre uh, in our pre recording chat. When you were describing all the things you like and don't like about a camera, like op- you need an optical viewfinder, blah 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 blah, it sounds like an X Pro Two is the one that's singing to you. But that, I, I, the, the problem with that is the size, and this is my thing. I think I'm, yeah. well. I think there's yeah. two stories here. I think I've there's the, something I want to buy at some point for adapting for mirrorless, uh, mm. for, for adapting my classic lenses. But something tiny. In fact, at one point, I was actually looking at uh, Sony make a tiny. I think it's like two-inch square cube. It's an RX, 
V. It's basically got a Zeiss 28 mil equivalent lens on it. It's like a GoPro kind of thing. Oh, that thing. But yeah, it, yeah. Shoots, it shoots 16 megapixel stills. And to the point that I could almost wear it like a badge or even have a fake broken arm cast and <laughs> in, embed it. In, I, I, I kid you not. I kid you not. And, and I've, I've become these like, sneaky ideas. I could just get right up to people because the, the shots I got with the X70, the ones that made it into this magazine, what, what was great about them is that they were so close, but they were because it was a wide angle lens and because I was low, people just filled the frames and they were looping yeah. down and everything mm. looked great it looks and fantastic. I really really like that and I do like getting close like that but I have to really be in the mood for it you know if I do it out and about because um, sometimes I just don't want any hassle if things don't work out um, so yeah I, for me I think the size thing is quite important so it could well be I may even just go you know what GR2 um, so you're, you're talking about the RX0 with the uh, the 24 millimeter f4 test that's arc. it yeah. Which is like a little GoPro thing, right? Yeah, it's a I tiny mean, thing, but it takes stills. It's got it takes a memory card and it's all waterproof and but it, it's just tiny. And I thought, you know what, this why aren't people looking at this camera for street photography? Well, it's, it's absolutely perfect. But I mean it's there, there's two different ways to go there, right? Because the method of shooting you're describing, I mean I've done it and the, the results are super cool, but you can also get those results by just you know, sucking it up and getting down and looking through the viewfinder. It'll put people off, uh, but... But this is my point. Yeah, it changes how you interact with people. I, I like the fact yeah. that I could walk up to people. and uh, My trick would be I'd wear I'd usually a bright hat or a scarf or something, so looking at that, and I'll just you put my hand to my head or just do a physical distracted move or look, look in no. another direction <laughs> and then <laughs> snap them when they're... No, you, you obviously need a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> you need a little you need a little capuchin monkey who who does tricks while you're photographing people to keep now them there's occupied. a thought there's yeah. a thought yeah yeah I, I bet I bet guys. Graham has a monkey is there a Zeiss monkey I could buy I don't know but I bet I bet Graham has one so that means you should have one oh of course yeah Graham's got everything <laughs> that Graham <laughs> so yeah that walk went well but yeah I'm I'm still looking and then. Um, I've been uh, playing again with. I, I guess the other thing I found was a, a Rolay 35E. So, oh, yeah. so it's one of those tiny Rolay 35s. I, um, I found it for two pounds in a charity shop. Nice. And it seems to be working. I've been using my. I haven't tested a, a roll yet, but uh, there's a roll in it. I've been using my iPhone, just a meter app, to sort of get a sense of the lighting um and mucking around with that that could be interesting but again it's one of those things that i'm not sure if i'm doing everything right with it <laughs> you pull is it then pulled out properly am i cocking it right um is the order in which i do things correct so for me it's that it's that endless battle of finding a thing that i want to do what i want but with the least amount of hassle because sometimes things get too complicated you know they might be the right size but the the workflow just to get to do the thing is a pain and the closest i've ever got is that fuji x70 so and i know there's things out there uh-huh. um that can do that uh, including the fuji x70 and i've actually <laughs> buying yeah. it again um but no i couldn't do that because i'd hate myself so Wait, uh, why did you get rid of it again i i got rid of it because i wanted to get a gr2 oh right oh my god <laughs> yeah, so the, this whole stupid round circular mission, which is ended, <laughs> I've ended up with nothing, is really, really daft. Yeah. yeah. The monkey that wants the, the, the food in the jar and puts its hand in and grabs it, and because its fist is 
closed now. It can't get out of the jar, so it has to let go again. That's me. And the monkey <laughs> so, with the jar. So is the X100 series also a little too big for what you are looking yeah. at? Even though I've been in, <laughs> they've interested me in their own way. Uh, They're so nice. Yeah, to pay that for a sort of, you know, fixed lens thing at that size, I don't know. I've got lots of other bits like that. So, mm-hmm. um, But then that, that takes me on to the whole the mirrorless camera for which to adapt my other lenses because I've got I've got wow I've got a whole bunch of sort of not loads but I've got some interesting uh, M42 lenses um, and I've been looking at the Sony a6000 which has dropped in price massively Mm. Um, my problem is I buy something and then I wish it had that bit more functionality or was that bit better and so I've started to think now maybe it's the Fuji um, X-Pro2 which I've always lusted after I think that's a beautiful camera and it's got the Acros um, film simulation, which I love. Yeah. Um, and also because it's got that hybrid viewfinder, which I find really exciting. The fact that you're looking out into the real world, but then there is a digital overlay. Um, you feel like a an Apache helicopter pilot. And I think that that's, <laughs> that's just a... I don't know why more people don't do that, because I hate yeah. a totally digital viewfinder I, I just can't stand them it's like watching tv and for me it's almost takes away from the joy of what photography is i want to see the real world through my viewfinder and i know they're really good quality now i know that lags are you know the lag that you know some cameras black out a bit when you take the shot that's going but i still feel that bit removed and that is that same rangefinder effect you know i want to see what i'm seeing um, yeah. so I, th- I think at the moment for me it could be the x pro 2 but for me it's that whole thing of the what do you call it how, how they focus uh to show you're in focus there's lines come up don't they on edges of things digitally oh focus peaking yeah focus peaking mm-hmm. um and that has it and i think the a6000 has it but I, i'm not a fan of looking at a big screen whilst i'm doing that yeah but this right. this i'm not sure if the x pro 2 is different from the one but i don't think that the hybrid viewfinder i think that only am i right and think that only works with native fuji lenses no, 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 it's, not, it's, it's good with anything, man. Dude, yeah. the viewfinder is genius design because you can also do the little uh, viewfinder within the viewfinder yeah. where you get the little tiny EVF in the bottom right that's a zoomed-in view with focus peaking for your precise focus, and then you get the overlay. But when you're adapting lenses, um, you just specify the focal length of your lens, and then like you know, it, it changes the magnification and the frame lines, and everything is great. I, I think that's one thing they've so nailed so well. And it's the wonderful. thing that, thing that yeah. annoys me about Fuji, they, they just come out with so many models. It gets so confusing. There's, I, there's, so only, there's, only, three, there's only three models of that oh, camera, yeah. and we're going back to what? No, not two, just the two, X-Pro. It's that, that whole world. I think there are just so many overlaps between their different models and the way they've laid things out. And it, I, you know... Nah, I don't nah, know. They're, 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 they, don't, they, they only have two cameras that do that one is the x pro and one is the x100 you know what i mean they're the only only right. two that have that view, that style of viewfinder exactly no, I mean, i'm talking about their range in general yeah yeah but then th- that that's depending on the kind of camera so you're talking about like the xe3 yeah. and the xt30 x5s and the xa that's, and the that's cool and well the i mean there's the ones without the viewfinder so screw those yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but I, I think it's, it's just great thing- because I mean, yeah. I know it makes sense that they essentially a lot of the time build the same camera just in two different shapes. Here you go. Here's this functionality. This is a rangefinder style. This is an SLR style. 
Um, I think that's great because it's not like yeah. Sony who who releases like ten thousand different models that are basically the same, right? Right, and they update it every month. Fuji has like a few clear differentiated product lines that they update via firmware, and it's and then every couple of years they just come up with a new model, and I, I, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I've I've I end up going down just getting really confused and you know you you think oh this one's nearly like that one but it's just missing that bit which one should i get and i just end up oh my god stop it stop it everybody Uh, well if you want a company that uh restricts your choices there is always leica (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've uh i can't afford that i'm afraid no yeah you know yeah i mean leica has so missed the boat in terms of viewfinder i i feel for their digital cameras that they're not doing the sort of thing fuji's doing with uh, yeah hybrid ovf i mean it just it's just yeah. it's so it's so good <laughs> yeah and 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 to be fair you know like the the cl and the sl are really nice and the q are really nice yeah, viewfinder wise who's, who's buying those things yeah i mean you know is it like a q or a fuji x100 i know which one i'd get you oh, know, definitely x100 yeah i mean geez you could buy two of them at the same price you in fact and you could key- buy an x100 and a Leica film camera for the same to, price. To be fair, the Q is <laughs> the Q is really freaking nice. It, um, yeah, it really it's is. It's so nice. It's just really right. expensive. Yeah, uh, and it's big. But it, it, yeah. in terms of user experience, they've knocked it out of the park with that one. Yeah, yeah. If it had a yeah. 100 style viewfinder, I I, I think I'm. It would, it would be the the perfect camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway, I, I was going to say just just to put in there about you know uh, which which uh, camera to 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 go for. It, it's largely going to be down to the kind of photography you you want to do. And yeah. the other the other thing is that you say like you don't like EVFs, and really that that, that for for me using a, a mirrorless camera with old lenses the. The, the 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 what makes them worthwhile doing is because of the EVF, and mm-hmm. if you you know a poor EVF uh, makes it difficult uh, to use um, manual focus lenses. I do not like uh, to use my X Pro One largely because I'm 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 not particularly impressed with the the EVF on it. Um, I know they've got better, and I think it is better on the on the X Pro Two, um, but. If that EVF was better on the X Pro One, I would actually, I would probably almost certainly use that camera more because I like the camera in in most ways. So, yeah. so you know, really, for me, you, I would be looking at quality of EVF as almost being your first consideration. Okay, well let's let's break this down for our listeners, guys. Okay, if I had say, okay, tops eight hundred pounds, and what I'm after is a relatively compact mirrorless camera. On which I can adapt lenses uh, with a good, which has a good way of doing focus peaking and focusing and bloody blah and all that stuff. What would each of you Wait, recommend? So, is your primary goal with this to adapt lenses or to shoot street in the way that you were describing right. with the? Well, I, I think, that's the, that's I think that's my street thing key. is a, yeah. There's two things here. I think my street thing is it's uh, I've already worked that one out. Is that's either going to be um, a GR2 or a GR3 or an XF10. Okay. But so now I'm talking adapting. adapting lenses, and I think my primary thing would be less, uh, more portraits and close-up work. So I'm less likely to be stopped down majorly. I'd be shooting at probably f4 to f1.4. Do Do you care about full frame? 
in an ideal world, I'd want full frame because I like that control and I like grading. I like just the space. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if it was possible to have full frame, that'd be great. But I just think something with really decent raw files, good, just a good quality of output that I can use professionally. Okay. My recommendations would be an XT2 or a uh, A7R2. What, for that price? Yeah, you can get A7R2s for around 800 pounds. XT2 easily. Okay. Yeah, you used one, no problem. Yeah. I'm, Johnny, I'm, would you agree? I'm going to say, I'm, I'm surprised that you can get an A7R2 for 800 pounds. But I'm, I'm, Was that, is that second hand? Yeah, second hand. Oh, yeah, second hand, definitely. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. thinking new. Because oh. I, I don't like buying second hand digital. Uh, A7 II or uh, still XT2. That view, yeah. the EVF and focus peaking on the XT2 is so good. I think and the viewfinder need, I, is huge. I don't know in that price though. I think you'd have to go to like a an X an XE3 probably. You could get a brand new XE3 for that. You can get an XT2 or new like new old stockish for less than eight hundred pounds. Easy. Oh, eight hundred pounds. Okay. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. yeah. Not an XE3, but like who cares? Johnny, were you thinking dollars? Could you realize was, the English English pound is probably worth a lot well, less than it's, your American it's, dollar it's, now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's I is it still worth anything? I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's basically eight hundred pounds is basically a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Simon, um, there's no contest. It's uh, A7 Mark II. Um, and you can definitely get one for eight hundred pounds or less. I'm looking at one on eBay for seven hundred and ten at the moment. Uh, okay, brand new inbox, UK stock warranty, and so on and so on. Wow. So, um, so yeah. So, so no X Pro twos out there. Uh, I don't think uh, not a new one. I would have thought the price does not drop on those damn things. That's seven nine no, brand new. They, they don't go down. Seven nine brand new. But. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so X-Pro2, um, I'm going to say two things about it because the shooting experience is wonderful, right? Um, I I want that camera on paper, but there's two things that put me off of that camera. A, it's a little bit wider, which I, I just find slightly uncomfortably large. Um, B, I really don't like the diagonal edge on it. I think it's ugly, but that that's totally irrelevant. Uh, but I think the viewfinder <laughs> magnification is so much smaller than an X-T2 that when I use the two side by side, um, you know, I far prefer the rangefinder styling of camera, but mm. I, when I, I, I used to have an X-T2 for the longest time. And for me, it was no contest when I used them hand in hand because the X-T2 viewfinder, uh, even though the experience is not as nice, I far preferred it to the X-Pro2. And to me, the best way to shoot an X-Pro2 uh, is to get an X100. And just don't worry about other lenses. Yeah, I, far better that, experience. That was a, what was about to come out of my mouth too. Just get an X100 and be done with it. because yeah. <laughs> it's like it's 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 a damn near perfect camera. Also, the but same I, way the like can't change the lenses on that though. No, so what? Yeah, so what? <laughs> so my M42 will be now be gathering even more dust, and, uh, getting even more fungus. It, it really annoyed me. I, I I've had them in a, a cupboard that was uh, in my in my office, and I thought I'd get them out. I've recently rearranged my office and I started looking through and I realized some of them are starting to get those little evil strands of 
Mm. Uh, fungus in them and I thought oh Jesus Christ I've just got to use these things before they die or before I decide myself to open them up and destroy them um, <laughs> so I've, I've got to do something with them and I don't want to go oh. down the film camera route and adapting and all that stuff it's just yeah okay so let's let's try to get this settled Simon A7 Mark II versus XT2 in uh, in this corner of the ring, we have Simon Forster on the Sony side. I'm going to take yeah. the Fuji side. I, I, okay, well, the, oh, go on, John. <laughs> John, yeah. I was going to say just flip a coin. Yeah, I mean, either either one will do it. it, it pick, no, no, pick, but, the, pick the one that's going to uh, that has the the user interface that you like the most. In which case, here's, it won't be Sony. That was a re- that was a roundabout way to try to be yeah. to try to be fair, but be totally unfair. And the Fuji has a film simulation, so that's right. what I love. The Sony is nice on paper, but it will piss you off. Oh, I know. Um, so I, I have both, right? I use my Sony for one thing. It's dicking around. If I want to do actual photography digitally with adapted lenses, it's the Fuji 100% of the time. Because it's just a far better user experience, and then you just right. forget about the fact that it's a crop sensor. I I, I was on a pro shoot uh, late last week, and I was doing um, sort of reportage stuff around the shoot. But the the main photographer, a pro photographer, so he was using a, a Nikon D810 as his main camera. But then every now and then he'd pull out his uh, A7. R Mark Three, whatever. He had this enormous uh, G Master lens, and that's lovely glass. But this, he hated it. <laughs> he hated yeah. it. He loved the yeah. lenses, yeah. but the menus and the, the, just the whole work around the experience of using the thing drove him crazy. Yeah, I, right. I don't understand in this day and age when there's so many, so much amazing user experience design out there that Sony still, yeah, design their stuff the way they did. So what? Because on the shoot there was a, a camera. Up, up as well and they were saying there was a whole legacy thing and it came from the world of um video cameras and um, the way people were used to shooting video so when when sony wanted to get people to start shooting video with their um film cat with their digital cameras and not their video cameras uh they kept a similar menu system just to ease people in because there was this whole history because the the uh, Canon 5D Mark II, you know, just killed it and changed the landscape of what DSLRs could do when people started shooting with it. Right. Um, and to sort of get an edge into that market, Sony just thought, okay, well, let's use a similar way that the, the users of the Sony cameras, uh, TV cameras, would work and in, and use it within our um, stills cameras so that they can shoot video that way. But, but that makes even less sense because I know, like the placement of <laughs> the, the, the placement of the record button is in the most <laughs> stupid place. It's on the outside of the thumb grip, which is like this, you can't press there without removing your right hand from the camera. Um, whereas the Fuji was designed by people you know who understand actual photography. They know how to make cameras. Um, they got at least one person on their design team who, in an interview recently basically said that he hates digital cameras. Yeah. Um, and you can see that in the way that they make the camera. They are a joy to use. Well, whereas this... the Sony, sorry, let me finish this rant. Yeah. Whereas the Sony is the most powerful <laughs> camera and the best camera I have ever owned, both in terms of its functionality, its features, and its image quality. And I have never hated a camera more than this piece of shit. You know, its <laughs> battery life sucks. It handles like a piece of crap. And like, give me a real camera that does everything that the Sony does, and it'll be fantastic. Sorry. Right. Yeah, I, I think Sony, <laughs> Sony, what they've done is that Sony 
you know, in that post-Walkman era, they they went, well, they've always been known for it, and that's how they built their brand, through miniaturization. So they they always seem to put that first to a point where it becomes unusable. And I, I was having this discussion on set with these this, this uh, photographer who's like, right, you've got this camera, and yeah, great, it's small. By the time you put everything on it that you need, it's all top-heavy. It doesn't balance out. Mm-hmm. And... You know, then I would, you know, I had my D850 out. He had his D810 out. We were just saying, look, I, and it's the same with actually with video cameras now. When you go on set, these cameras are becoming so compact. They're now having to add bits on and weights and balances and counterweights. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually sits on your shoulders. So when I used to work in TV back in the day, back in the 90s, you'd have a Sony Betacam, a Digi Beta camera, big, heavy f***ers that sit on your shoulder. Now, there's, there's two reasons. Like, hey, hey, obviously, you know, they were, you were shooting to tape, so it had to be that big to house all the, the stuff inside. But when you're holding a camera, you don't want something so light and flimsy that, you know, if you, every time you breathe, it's moving. That The weight actually helps. And that's what I love about actually having a camera with a bit of heft to it because it balances you out. And so when mm-hmm. you press a shutter, the weight of it sort of, and the, the mass of this camera absorbs any movement. Whereas when you get small, you move anything or click anything, it, the whole camera turns or it wobbles a bit. And that's a really big deal when you're on a big shoot. Yeah. You know, um, when you're starting to having to zoom into shops and crop and check all those details, you can really tell. So in a way, and that's my, you know, I get why mirrorless is coming to the fore now, but I like the form factor and the size and the weight of an SLR. And I think, for example, the Sony S, is it the Panasonic SR series, uh, mm. their new mirrorless cameras, they seem to get it right because they're bigger and a bit heftier. But they look just solid and more reliable. And I think that I'd imagine the user experience of holding something like that makes you more confident. Whereas by the time you put stuff on a Sony, Jesus, it, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's not good in the hand. Okay. Am I, am I allowed to talk now? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> because I've just been sitting here listening to a complete load of bollocks, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's absolute nonsense. Yeah. Uh, right. F- first thing, um, ergonomics. And uh, no, no. Let's go. Let's let's talk about the display and the the menus. Because and we've talked about this in in the past. But clearly, my, what I whatever whatever I've said just doesn't seem to go into anybody else's head. Um, and, and that's a case of once you set your camera up, there's hardly ever a reason to go into the menus. That's the first thing. And you've got custom buttons all over the place in good positions so that you can just set something up. I have a button for peaking. I have a button for uh, magnification. I can I can get to ISO far more easily than far easier than I can do on my X-Pro. Uh, it, it winds me up royally about how difficult it well, is to, to do that. Why don't you just set a button like, you know, Yeah, but so I've got a camera. button doing something else. Well, you got there, like, there aren't enough custom buttons. There aren't on. enough buttons. I got it. Okay. Yeah, needs Go more buttons. Those people like like Hamish Gill <laughs> who moan about it's got too many buttons. I don't like it. I don't care. Just don't. Just ignore the buttons. Use the button. If you don't want to use the buttons, you don't have to. You haven't got to assign things if you don't want to. And those of us that actually like to actually have direct access to things, we can assign things to them, and that makes us happy. So, until until you change one function that you have decided to experiment with, and unbeknownst to you, it disables some of the buttons as you've set up, <laughs> because Sony is so busy trying to stuff every feature in that they don't all work in tandem, and. And then you know you change one setting because you're trying to play with video, and then it's disabled a bunch of your other crap. Well, don't do don't deal with video. You do stills. 
I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't be talking about video on these things anyway. It's 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 stills anyway. So that's me being a dinosaur. But I, I think you're talking. There's there's two things. There's the uh, if you like the user interface, the UI. Um, but then there's then there's the beyond that there's the ergonomics, if you like, the shape of the camera. And beyond that, there's just the form factor in a bigger sense in that balance of the thing. And yeah, the, you know. Uh, yeah, no, and that's fine. And I've written something down here. Get a grip. Um, yeah. and uh, and quite quite literally now i've i've used when when i first had my sony i was still doing a lot of wildlife photography because that's what i used to do with my em1 and that's an even smaller camera than than uh than the, than the sony although it's actually not that much smaller and i was using by the time i finished doing that i was using 400 millimeter canon lenses uh, manual fd lenses in fact my favorite lens that i was using was a 400 4.5 and I was using that on on the Olympus, and then I started using it on uh, my Sony. And you know, that's a big lens on a little body. Um, I just had a grip, and when I, when you've got a grip, it's just balanced right. You've got two batteries in there as well, so that if you have got a problem with uh, with with battery life, then that overcomes it. And and certainly in the case uh, the A seven R R two may well be a simple case of that that uses more batteries than the than the basic uh two because my mine was not a problem at all um i've done oh dude yeah it's bad i carry six spare batteries with me because yeah. that thing sucks battery this is the other thing with miniaturization and i know you know my d850 i'll get I can shoot all day. I take six batteries with me, and I can't. And I will shoot all day. I'll crack off thousands of shots, and I never even yeah. kill one battery. Yeah. Can't kill one battery, and that's like that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So I, all all of this, just so I'm clear, all of this is just so that you have a smaller alternative to the D850, more or less. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, okay. I. I, I I, I think I've realized as, I've, as my work is getting more as professional, I suppose, I've started to get more professional commissions. Uh, my work has moved from tinkering and messing about and doing stuff for personal reasons to doing stuff that has a much higher quality threshold and expectation okay. of quality. And so I'm having to make sure that I've got the right bits for that. Okay. Um, so I just want to sort of make sure I've, I yeah invest well if I, if I go down this route and get something because yeah. clients love it. I, I, when I'm on set and I pull out, you know, a digital camera or I've, or the, I was on set, I had my contacts Aria with the Zeiss uh, 51.4 and they love it. And you get a film camera out. It's really exciting for them. And obviously I'm not going to do the whole shoot that way, but if you pull out a manual lens and you're talking to them, it, it's a story and it makes them feel it's something special and interesting. And it's a, just a nice bit of theater to, engage them as well right. make them think they're getting something interesting as to whether they can tell which of the shots you finally took was with that lens or the other but the point is yeah. it's a story well i i just gonna kind of go back to say just try try them both and pick the one that has the interface you like better and i'm not saying that that's necessarily <laughs> only gonna be the no that, that, that i mean it, you may be like simon in that there's one button in the wrong place and you can't figure out how to set your iso where you want and that blows the whole deal for you I don't well know. i i've i've tried the sony's but i just like the shape and the hold of any fuji camera of the sony's if i'm honest yeah, i, I yeah. just think they're yeah and, the, and there's an iso dial on the pro too yeah and, and there were I, I, by the way i know that uh, johnny was trying to get away from me talking because <laughs> i hadn't actually finished um <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, so so you've got the ability to get a cheap grip and make the camera bigger if you need more balance with a larger lens that's 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 one thing but once once i moved away from using large lenses i haven't used my grip now for about two years i used to always use the grip now i rarely use the grip and that may, and that's because i'm just using smaller lenses 50 millimeters and, and tends to be yeah. wider and it's a, and then all of a sudden it's a small camera it's a small full frame camera um that's that's very that's very easy to handle once you've got your head around how, how it works of course but the other the other big advantage and i'm not, I'm not trying to like do fuji down uh, well actually i am uh, <laughs> but uh, but no the um because they, they they just annoy me um my cat my fuji annoys me and that's all there is to it um but the the other thing is uh if you do like shooting wide angle and you're using a crop center lens and you're using um classic lenses then you're going to start getting hampered on your on your lens choice um so you you end up having to use a much larger lens oh um, no 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 oh no, yes no. yes uh, no yeah, not you, unless you're trying to do shoot like 12 millimeters no, 17 on. mil if you want to if you i'm not saying so if you if you want to choose 24 mil you're using a 17 mil lens and they're much bigger no they're not what, what are you talking about it depends on the lens sorry you Depends on the lens. It depends on the lens. I've got. Come on. 70, all seventy mil lenses are twice the size of a twenty-four at two point eight. All, in fact, they're usually slower uh, because they're usually three point fives, aren't they? Anyway, I'm and right, and you know I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of form factor, I'm going to move this conversation to something I discovered, which I um, excited me uh, in a very, very big way. So I was in a camera shop in Brighton and just wandering around and i saw a camera i'd never heard of before and it's called the rico kr10 ah. i'd never seen this thing before the first thing that excited me was that the way kr10 was written it looked like a swiss font looked like a helvetica uh, it was a black camera but then also immediately it hit me that the, the shape of it was incredibly similar to my nikon fm3a and the sort of those nikon cameras uh, mm -hmm. the body shape and size um, and then I realized that it um, was a Pentax K-mount. I'd never heard of this camera, so I picked it up and had a play, um, and I loved it. Um, so it's, you know, it's uh, got a lovely uh, needle inside showing you the meter. It's got aperture priority, and it goes to a thousandth of a second, and it was in absolutely mint condition. Um, and I love it. So I, I bought it, and I got it home, and I looked into it, and apparently it was made by uh, that C word you hate, Johnny, Casina. Yeah. No, I was um, just about to say you, you yeah. got yourself a fine a fine casino there. <laughs> but um and apparently it was what camera's camera of the year in 1980, but this thing is staggering and what I, what I don't understand is why more people don't rave about it, especially people entering film photography because it's you know, I got this I uh, it's you can go full manual and you can go aperture aperture priority. Yeah. They're so easy to use. And I, I, one of my favorite lenses is the uh, Pentax 51.7. It's just the most easy and instinctive. I, in terms of ease of use and sort of user experience, it's up there for me anyway with my uh, Zeiss Planar 51.4. I just love the throw on it. I, I'm very fast at working with that lens. And they make such a good combination. And it just looks great. 
And um, I suggest everyone gets on eBay right now and pumps the prices up. <laughs> it is really a lovely camera. It's uh, the top plate. I don't, I don't know what it's made of. It feels a bit plasticky, but it, it's solid. Uh, it's a solid looking thing and it's beautiful. And then when I looked at the top of it compared to my FM3A, everything was laid out in exactly the same mm-hmm. position. Yeah, it's because they're yeah. basically the same camera. Yeah. yeah. Simon, Simon's and, the one who and the doesn't FM3A like And the FM3A has plenty of Casino-made parts on it, so. Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I can deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Casino. Well, I nearly bought one of their others recently. I was telling you earlier, the, uh, is it the Bessa, uh, the Bessamatic? Okay, you, you you were talking about the Bessaflex and why yes. it also has a nice typeface. Yeah. But here's the difference between the font of the Rico and the Bessaflex. The Bessaflex is not in all caps, so it looks stupid in my opinion. Oh, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really clean, but also it's the shape above the pentaprism. It makes me think of a stealth the, fighter. Everything else about that camera, I agree. <laughs> I, I think it's beautiful, but the font looks like they typed it in a t- in, in Microsoft Word and forgot to change the font before they printed it onto the camera. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I love about it. At least they kerned it well. I mean, come on. You got to give them points. Kerning is nice. Yeah. <laughs> they could have yeah. totally messed that up. <laughs> it's so clean and crisp um, in design. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous thing. It has that lovely, the back, that sort of slight thumb grip area that I had on my um, uh, uh, Voigtlander Besser R3A. Yeah, because it's the same. It's the same chassis. They're all. All these cameras are built on the same chassis. I'm cool with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just badge it, rebadge it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're 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 relatively new, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. It does the job, but um, yeah. I mean, have you guys ever come across this camera? Used one? Well, I I come across them quite often um, because they usually get dumped on me. Uh, Wow. Um, I've actually got one at the moment, which I've, I need to take a closer look at because I've, I, I picked it up a couple of weeks ago and shortly after you started uh, saying things on Twitter, on Twitter about just how uh, wonderful the KR10s are. And I'm scratching my head and I goes, really? The KR10? Are, you, are, you, are we talking about it's, the same camera here? It's because for me, it's, 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 coming, it's working backwards from two things that I love, which is my Pentax ME Super, the 50 on it. Um, and then also my Nikon FM3A. It's like these two worlds have merged, and that that just blew yeah. my mind. I just thought, wow, this is this is really something interesting. You get a sort of Nikon user experience, and you've got all that Pentax glass, um, which is really nice and quite cheap as yeah. well. Well, that that's, that that point you're making about the the, the set the the layout with Nikon, that's something I hadn't I hadn't picked up on at all, and uh, and I can see now. You know why that would increase the the interest in that, but I mean earlier on, uh, you sent us a picture of um, of that camera along with a, uh, a black ME Super and uh, some of the lenses that we, we we may get to talk about. And I'm just looking at the two of them, and I I think the the Pentax ME Super is a beautiful looking camera. I think it's mm-hmm. fan- fantastic. I, I'm I'm more drawn to that than say uh, the other small camera of its of a similar kind of uh, like yeah. the, uh, the the Olympus cameras, the over the single-digit OMs. I bought an OM2N, and it's, the shutter's gone weird. I need to get it repaired. But the thing is, mm. I never used it. It felt too boxy. But I'll tell you something, that ME Super, mm. I, I ended up buying a second one. Uh, I may buy a third just to have a spare in case the two die. I love it that much. It is just so great in the hand, so compact. Exactly. And, and shutter speed to a 2,000th of a second as well. Oh, it's right. just, I didn't just, realize that. That's yeah. Great. It is fantastic, yeah. and it's so quick to use. And I've uh, I've finally got the forty mil two point eight pancake 
uh, to put on it. I I bought one oh, about nice. three three times off eBay, and oh. they they all had a bit of dirt or rubbish on them, and you know one came without the the uh, knurled rubber bit around the focus, so you simply couldn't turn it. Well, Whatever. The, but finally, I got a super clean one. I was so. just going to say because I think it's worth just chatting about the lens. But let's just finish off where where I'm going with this, and and that's it's sitting next to the picture of the of the KR10. And I'm looking at the Pentax and I'm seeing Desire. I think that's lovely. And then, then you look over at the, at the Ricoh and it's it's just a camera. Oh, I love the Ricoh. It's like if you, when, if you, if you go on Google and type in a camera symbol <laughs> and you get a reduced down um, graphic design image, an icon of a camera, the Ricoh KR10 is kind of what they look like. They're just big. They've got a lovely yeah. box shape and they're just solid no, there's something about this that's like quite brutalist in that sense mm. and that's what i like about them yeah well at the end of the day cameras are light type boxes that take pictures and if they work they work so yeah uh, and if you like it that's the thing if you at the end of the day, if you're enjoying using the using a piece of equipment then you're just going to get the most out of it yeah yeah so uh so your, your 40 mil pancake um don't see too many of these about so uh it, it, i'm just wondering how See that's that's the thing. When I see about these forty mil pancakes, and I always always immediately think of the the Konica forty mil as well. But that's a one point eight, mm-hmm. um, so that immediately. And you know, a lot of people say nice things about the Pentax, but I always think, well, the Konica's so, one point eight, and this is a two point eight. Yeah, the the Pentax ME um, with that lens. Mike Epstein here in Hong Kong raves about that combo because of how compact it is. Oh. Um, but he has pointed out to me that the lens uh even though he really likes it for its size he doesn't really like the handling um because it's the rings are a little small and it's a little bit slow i agree yeah and agree it's with not that. particularly sharp so he has just replaced it with the voigtlander 40 f2 ultron uh which will now be living on his pentax me super and came out which looks like a sexy combo yeah i've been this uh this 428 uh pentax pancake it, it is it's nice and narrow and it, it's nice and small but I, I would agree in terms of the the grip to actually turn the focus it is quite narrow and you find yourself because you're so used to moving from you know uh turning the aperture wheel and then moving your thumb and your forefinger forward a bit to then focus um and this thing is it's, it's such a narrow space the grip on it is very narrow so you it's just a bit of mm-hmm. getting used to uh, and i'm trying to get my head head around that but as you're talking about that 40 mil F2 Ultron, that's something I've I've sort of been lusting after for my Nikon. Oh, it's um, so nice on Nikon. Yeah, and that's because yeah. I love 40 mil. I've, I use the the uh, 40 mil Nocton. It never comes off my CLE, and I think uh-huh. the look the look of that now lens is beautiful. The, the shots I get off that, but there's something about 40 mil. I'm always usually 35 or 50, and 40 is kind of pretty much in the middle. Um, so that's why I got it for the Pentax. As to what the shots will look like, look like, I've got my first roll in it at the moment. I'm putting it through. That should be interesting. But I just, in my, you know, when I put it on in the viewfinder, I, I see a view I'm used to, uh, which I like because it's good enough for portraits and it's good enough for streets. You know, step a bit closer for a portrait, step a tiny bit further back for street. But it, it's a great single lens uh, mm-hmm. that ticks a lot of boxes. But that, um, that scalloped barrel on the uh the 40 mil nocton uh ultron sorry for the nikon I, uh, really excites me <laughs> it, feels, it feels so good yeah 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really tempted by that one. Uh, but this is the other thing. I mean, I, I was going to buy one, and then I thought, you know what, I'll buy a printer instead because they were the same price. <laughs> um, and I, that's, I've been, I, so I, I went and bought a printer recently as well. And I, because I got to the point where I realized I've been shooting so many things, and it, you know, I've made a few books, and I love the fact that photography comes to life when you print. And um, apart from social media, where most people stick their photos, I mean, okay, like tomorrow, um, I'm doing a shoot. Um, it's a really stressful shoot. I'm actually doing. I won't mention the brands, but it's for a sort of big brand, and I'm doing a shoot for uh baby swimming nappies so essentially i've had to hire out a pool um i then we've got three parents and babies coming along and i'm going to be filming parents and babies in a swimming pool and because they're babies the pool has to be at a high temperature and the external temperature has to be one degree higher than the pool temperature so we're going to be work working in about 34 celsius uh for about eight hours around the pool with babies uh and shooting so that's uh not going to be fun but um where was i going with this so going back to um the point of as you, as you start to you know you do photography for a while and you amass all these shots yes that was my point this shoot i'm doing it's costing thousands of pounds it's costing this client thousands of pounds to arrange and organize but um the end of the day the delivery is going to be about 20 single shots that will end up at 640 by 472 dpi on right <laughs> you, right, right. <laughs> yeah. i'm shooting up 47 megapixels i've got pro photo flash heads i've got everything right you know? um <laughs> and it, it occurred to me that i've got terabytes of photographs that i've enjoyed taking enjoy looking at and enjoy sharing and i thought it was time i finally decided to sort of buy a printer so i bought i bought a a, uh, and that was an Epson P600 pigment printer. Um, and I've started to now make and sell prints. But that put me through a really interesting sort of journey in terms of there's always what you think in yourself makes a nice photograph because you shoot all the time and you look through your work and you think, I like that as a photograph. But then when you start to think what makes a good print, it sets up a whole new set of parameters and criteria because what is someone going to buy? And on one level, that can take you down a really cheesy road because a lot of people love landscapey stuff simply because a, a print in a room is essentially a window into another world, and people like that. That's why people love landscapes. Mm. If you've got a, a small flat, you put a big landscape picture on the wall, it's like a window, and you're looking into a space. So it adds depth to your environment. But you can also easily go down this world of cliché you know, um, and that kind of street photography that feels a bit like a Banksy print, you know, it's like just ticking mm -hmm. certain boxes. It's a bit quirky. It's a bit funny. It's a bit edgy. But and so I've now started to print and um, it's uh, <laughs> it's opened up another universe of possibilities, which is all a bit scary because the quality of print is incredible off this machine. The, the cost of the paper isn't cheap. Um, you know, you're sorry, what printer was it again? That so you it's got? an Epson S Epson P600. So okay. it's, a, it's an A3 pigment ink printer. So it's got nine inks in it. Mm -hmm. Four of them are dedicated to black. Um, and it's museum quality, archival quality, um, prints. And you can print on glossy and matte and whatever the hell you want. Um, so I started to play with that. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's been going well. I mean, my, my plan is to essentially sell enough prints to make the printer pay for itself. Um, I got oh, a quarter great. of the way through there within 10 days. So that was wow. great. Um, and I'm only just beginning. I've started to have loads of ideas because what I'd love to do is then do print an, another photo book slash uh, zine, that word you don't understand, Perry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, give away a little print inside each one. Um, but my, my whole thing is, you know, we're talking about photography with classic lenses and speaking about the photography bit, um, it is so important to print your work or get it off the screen because you simply engage with it in a totally different way. You can touch it. You can smell it mm -hmm. if you want. You can get your eye right up to it uh, and really understand the quality that's gone into it. And, you know, uh, the camera I'm shooting with, I mean, I could do A2 prints with it and you wouldn't see a single pixel. And yeah, I'm putting, you know, little images on Instagram, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, so I've started to now re-go through. So it was, uh, I spent the two weekends going through literally thousands of photographs thinking, okay, I like this photograph, but does it make a good print? And it's sort of just a really interesting thing you go through because you start to, whether you like it or not, hit on cliches because you think, is the idea to sell prints that, you know, express me in my purest way and my art, or is the idea to actually just sell some prints and get my work out there? And for me, it's sort of in the middle of the two because mm. I, I want to get my work out there. I want to sell prints. I want to be popular. But at the same time, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. But at the same time, I want to sell shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You've got to. I mean, otherwise, what's the point? Um, and there's nothing wrong with having work that's popular. But you start to question what your voice, if you like, as a photographer, what it is you do. And so that that's starting to be an interesting little journey I'm going down. And also just understanding how terrifyingly quick your ink levels go down when you print. Oh, good God, yeah. I mean, you're talking, or when you don't print. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to basically make sure you you turn this camera on, the, this printer on and off at least once a week, just to keep the the heads alive. Because uh, if that clogs, you're screwed, and you have to go through all sorts of nonsense. But also to swap out one set of inks, and as you know, these printers are, are just loss leaders. They're sold at you know uh, cost. Um, just yeah. to get them into people's houses because the the money is made off the inks. You're talking two hundred pounds for a set of inks. Oh, so so what I what I do with my um, Canon Pro Ten or whatever printer I have uh, is I have a set of Octo inks that I order from the UK, um, and I just refill them. Yeah, I don't want to go down the because I know you can go down the whole you know by by buying um, non manufacturer inks you can reduce your prices massively. But then certain colors are off, and I'm still getting my head around the whole um, ICC profile world. Also, the how accurate is my monitor and what you see oh, on your so screen. That's so annoying. Yeah, I, to, to, to be honest with you guys, to, to a point, I've actually just ignored it. I'm working off an iMac, Apple iMac, 27-inch monitor. And generally, what I see on my screen is what I see on the printer and what I see coming out. So I'm not – I use the ICC profiles. I download them for each paper, but I've frankly never seen any particular – difference so i'm not worrying about it and a lot of my work is monochrome anyway mm. um so it's not relevant um but it is again it's you can geek out to the max you can now get attachments for this printer where you can in it, instead of using original links you can attach these things that then have giant bottles of all these <coughs> colors that just feed in through the pipes and you know you can just um customize them as, as much as you want um but i'll tell you what it's, it's fun it's 
printing your work is just fantastic and i highly recommend it to everybody i just want to go go back to um when you were saying about choosing which which photographs to print and which ones are going to sell um and you've you you analyzed it um perfectly as far as i'm concerned you know it's a case of uh you know are you trying to express yourself as an artist or are you just trying to sell prints and choosing which photographs to print is going to be a really tricky thing and it's something that I know Mike Gutterman uh, talks about this quite uh, quite often uh, because he does um, art shows and things. Yes, and uh, and he he has a little bit of a, an artistic struggle uh, with ex- in exactly the same way. You know, he wants to put out the things that he thinks are good, but he knows that they're just not going to go down well. It was uh, it's the local stuff that sells. Uh, generally speaking anyway yeah i mean i found where i live it's very pretty there's beautiful seascapes and things and people love all that and um there's always that bit but i think it's it's a you you have to play a longer game with it you have to get people to love you and your work and then get them to slowly try and buy more or be interested in more of what you are so i think there's you can't just jump in and go i'm i'm this crazy amazing you know Mm. photographer and this is my work people go who the are you and why would i want that on my wall some you know some people will and but the way i play is okay um here are some lovely landscapey type pictures that again i like i'm not putting them up there for sale just to sell them i'm putting them up because they're ticking two boxes one is that i like them myself and i'd have it on my wall and b i know other people like it because it's a popular type of image um but then at the same time i'll, I'll also have images of um things that um, I like that pe- not n- anyone else might like. They're, they're just things that, if you like, are more my voice. But then the other approach I have is I'll say to people, look, you guys have seen my work. If there's anything you've seen of my work that you like, I can print it for you. So I'm sort of trying to tick a lot of boxes and have a bit more of a bespoke approach. So um, one of my customers um, picked up on a few of the images that I put on my website that were up and for sale as potential prints. But then also he said, you know what, there's this, this picture you took a while back in Brighton that I loved, and I'd love to have a print of that. I said, yeah, I can do that for you. Um, so for me, actually, the, the key is the relationship building with your clients. And uh, and that's right. If, you, if you've if got the, the ability to have that relationship, um, that's 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 a key thing. Um, but in, in terms of choo- choosing shots, I'm just thinking about my own experience. I've, I've sold th- three photographs, none of which are actually for sale as such. Uh, one of which was, absolutely fell into uh, this is my art, and I was delighted that, uh, that that it was sold. Another one sold because it was it was quite a commercial shot, and 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 it was of a business, and the business approached me and bought it, um, which was which was nice. Um, and then the third one um, that was just something that was up on on Facebook, and it was it, I don't I'm not even sure if I actually posted it by itself or within within a group. And for for me, it was just a a nice, pleasant shot. Uh, but to the buyer, it was it really spoke to them. And there's no way I would have picked that shot to be printed. Yet that you know one of the few shots. I mean, and it was a photographer that bought it, uh, which I think the, the photographers have got to be one of the hardest people to to try and sell a, a photograph to because they can go out and potentially take a similar photograph assume they've got access to the place if it's landscape but uh, um but yeah i would never have picked that photograph and i just wonder if there's a if there's it would make sense to to run some of these choices past your partner or something like that some of these less emotionally attached to the photos yeah it's 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 a, it's a really difficult one because you ask 10 people you'll get 
lot of the time you'll get 10 different answers. So I think for me, it's about going with your gut. Because uh, you, also it's, it's a thing you put a lot of effort into. So you want to be printing things you like. That's a good start. Otherwise it doesn't feel like, you know, otherwise it starts to feel like work. Um, and you don't want it to feel like work. It should feel like a joy. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you have to think about, well, what, what what do most people have in their houses? What do they like? And is there anything I have that is like that? I don't go out specifically to shoot, to pr shoot stuff to print. I will just look at the stuff I've shot and that I like and then see if it fits into one of those sort of categories and then put it out there. Yeah. So, um, so you're, you're, you're printing your photographs off. Where, where are the public seeing these photographs? So I've done a couple of things. So firstly, I've put to put a, a couple of pages up on my website. Um, that's anilmysteryphoto.com if you're interested. But um, what I've done is I went through all my photographs. I found what I felt were the color photographs and the black and white photographs that I liked. So I put them into two sections so people can see them there. But then um, the main thing for me is actually to promote on social media so i'll put things on instagram uh, i have a, a page on facebook for animal mystery photography so i'll always um speak to my sort of followers there and i'll just put stuff out as where as far and wide as i can on social media uh, whenever i have the time uh, to let people know so as much as i've got all those images there now and i put out posts saying look i'm now selling prints people are looking at so much stuff it's important to focus their eye on one thing so every now and then what i will do is i will choose one image and i'll just push that for a week or two um and at least that will draw people to the website uh, to see what else i've got or they'll like that image now in terms of the whole limited edition thing at the moment everything i do is open editions because i, I want to sell work so my prints will be signed they're on good quality archival paper uh, they're packaged love in a nice way and sent with care and all that stuff, uh, as you'd expect. Um, and I'm not selling them framed because framing is a world of its own. I could easily go out and buy a, a shitload of IKEA frames, but framing is a very personal thing. And I, I'd rather just send the prints out as prints because if you start framing, um, just the um, dealing with all that and the postage and this, that, and the other is a pain in the ass. You end up buying loads of frames for different sizes. Also, a lot of my shots are cropped in different ways, but I try to stick to standard formats, you know, square, A4, A3, uh, 8x5, uh, 7x5 or whatever, uh, so that when it does come to framing, it's quite easy for people to find either frames off the shelf or to get something made that isn't too crazy or difficult. Yeah, it's from what my... Uh, from what I've, I've learned, it appears that if you're actually in a physical environment, you're out there in the real world, then people tend to gravitate towards the framed pictures. So it's, it's, it, that's an interesting that buying online, um, it's, I mean, I can do a lot of advantages for, for doing it on the unframed online, but it's, it's, it's interesting that that actually goes potentially better. Um, yeah, well, well, I was, the thing that hold that finally pressed that button of buying a printer for me was cause I'd been umming and eyeing over it for about two years was I went to the photographer's gallery in soho and there were two amazing exhibitions i think it's still on so one exhibition is about um just a life of soho in london um and the other one is about food but as i was walking around i was reading looking at these prints and firstly it's just great to see prints on a wall and it occurred to me that you know what if i had a printer 
I can have exhibitions. I can exhibit my work. I can give it to a local bar or I can put it up in place and actually do my own shows and people can see and touch my work and be, get close to it in a way that it, gives, it elevates it beyond the internet. Um, but um, the other thing um, was that it made me realize that you can, you, the, the, the prints in this, in this gallery that, were exactly the prints I could actually do on this printer. So one would say G-clay print on burrito paper. So G-clay is a fancy French word for inkjet. And burrito paper is, is a, burrito paper is a semi-gloss paper, which looks like photographic paper. Uh, and then another one would say, you know, um, inkjet print on matte paper or archival print on whatever. Essentially, that they're all the same thing. Um, but you can buy printers that print to that level of quality, you know, from any shop. Um, and for me, it was about pigment inks because they have a longer life and color fastness. And for me, it's about using the right paper and everything's acid free and archival so that it lasts. And this stuff in theory has like, you know, 200 year life. But I will tell people when they buy the prints, look, as with any art, don't put anything in direct sunlight um, but generally, if you look after it, it will be there for forever, really. So, guys, um, all I can say is make sure you print more of your film and more of your shots because um, it's the best thing you'll ever do in your life. So, moving on from there, <laughs> um, I've got some lenses. Um, touching back on the digital conversation we had and talking about adapting stuff. Um, these are lenses... Uh, I bought them because I've heard the odd good thing about them, but I've also just liked the shape of them and the design, and they're all quirky <laughs> and crazy. So um, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, which ones are interesting or whether I've just bought a load of crap and wasted my money. Well, um, with, with what you said about both your lenses and the cameras, I'm starting to think that Ed Sheeran wrote the song Shape of You for you and your cameras and lenses. I, I'm, I'll tell you, I've never heard a single song by Ed Sheeran in my life, and I never intend to. So, uh, <laughs> All right. Never mind. Our younger listeners will get the reference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Marvin Gaye kind of guy. Um, right. right. So the first one here um, is the Mir 1 37mm f2.8. Cool. I I'm going to mute myself. Yeah. Um, either that's clapping of shame or excitement. Oh, well, me, well it's, it's well known to be Carl, Carl Haven's favourite lens. So, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, Carl, how many uh, – do we keep keep tabs on how I, many lenses he bought of that one? I think three or four, <laughs> yeah. Why? Is it a, is it a uh, known dodgy lens? Uh, well, I, can, I think from that we can only surmise that Carl thought it was absolutely amazing. Uh, because he bought so many, um, and, and not because he couldn't get it, he, he hated them so much. But people kept posting nice pictures with him, so he bought another one just in case it's right. bad. And then he bought the next one, and that wasn't any better, or he couldn't do anything else with it. And uh, well, and so on. That behaviour sounds similar. That's essentially the way I kind of discover new lenses to buy. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm a fan. I, I really like the uh, the the Mir One Thirty Seven Millimeter f two point eight, and and uh, I've got a picture of it here of yours, and it's uh, made in nineteen seventy three as well, which was a very good vintage. So, Ooh. Um, so yes, uh, it's it's a it's a in many in many respects respects it's quite a vanilla lens. It's it's got a de decent sharpness, and it's a thirty seven millimeter lens, um, but it's 
the minimum focus distance is a bit weak if you want to get close to things the and if you you can and i used to quite often uh, mount it onto a m42 to m42 focusing helicoid uh, just to get the minimum focus down but so you can get some quite interesting effects when you get relatively close with it um but and you, and you need to do that anyway because like i said the minimum focus is quite weak on the lens uh, but you could you can get some of the bokeh on it if you do wide open and relatively close it, it can be a little bit uh, busy i think that's one way of putting it um so it's it's not a, a lens that you might want to do that kind of shooting that often but you, you can get some interesting effects but why i particularly like about that lens is shooting it into the sun um, because you can get some pretty wild flare effects and it's it's a good mm. video lens as well if you, if that's you like a, yeah, yeah that's a very that's good a, point that's a really good use for it yeah. see that's that's interesting because on recent shoots what i've uh, i went and bought a prism and i've also started um using a glass um so clients are starting to enjoy that sort of look when you introduce aberrations into your shots uh, that make things pretty and sparkly and like in the old video days what you do is just you just key in a lens flare or add a bit of a, um you know a light a bit of light leak coming in from the side of your shot but what what we do nowadays you can buy prisms glass prisms um that you essentially hold in front of your lens and just in the corner of the lens so that you're focusing on your person in the distance or your shot but you hold your prism um, closer to your lens, just introduce it into the frame, just rotate it until you get either a yeah. beautiful blast of light or color or blurredness that comes in. So people are starting to love that sort of randomness that comes into a shot so everything doesn't look flat and digital. And the other way you do, you do it is you just find, use a glass, like a whiskey glass or a, a glass of water glass, and just use the edge of that glass. and let it, yeah, absolutely, and let it just come into your shot and blur and introduce lovely lovely bits and for me i think that's the, the the main reason i think i want to start using these lenses is just to add unique character because i've got yeah. enough of that sort of bigger glass if you like the pro glass but for me that, that that's what this stuff is about is the quirkiness that makes something a bit special um okay so the next next thing i pulled out now this was i think this was sent to me by okay i, I did a, an emulsive secret santa once um and i can't remember what i sent someone but anyway the thing i got was a box and it was frankly well yeah it's one of those things it's all done the right spirit so i, I didn't want to complain but i was essentially sent a box <laughs> with two two minolta camera cameras that were totally destroyed and unusable and riddled with fungus and crap so i was sent a box of crap <laughs> but there's one lens I pulled out of it, which seemed to be quite clean and seemed to work. And that was a Minolta MC Rockor PG 50mm 1.4. Um, and I think I've got an X300 somewhere that I might be able to stick this on. But um, I've heard that the word Rockor might be quite good. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's a 1.4 and a 50, which I love. Um, so I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on that, or is it, is it just a standard seventies nifty fifty? No, it's a, it's a good lens. Uh, that's the, that's that's the first thing. I've I've uh, historically had a bit of a down on anything that says Rockor, um, where some people think that if it says Rockor on it, it's the greatest lens ever. 
Um, so, you know, it pays your money, take it, takes your pick, really. But uh, I, I think that's a decent lens. I've uh, I've used a few of them, and uh, yeah, I, I like that lens. It's it's. I mean, most most of the fifty one point fours do actually have a have a a different character to the next one, even when they're from like the main brands. I think that's one of the one of the areas where a lot of people, when they get into using classic lenses for the first time, they go for the fifty millimeters and they go for the fifty one point fours, and and shoot them wide open, and you can see a difference between them um there are times where really to see that difference you've got to you've got to go looking at it probably closer than perhaps you should do um but it's it's still an interesting thing to do just to actually see the differences between lenses but they yeah they they can render quite differently from each other and and, and so on and and just talk about 51.4s in, in in general but no i i think uh um, if if I had received a, a box of rubbish, as you describe it there, and it had one of these in there, I think I'd be quite happy with that. Okay, so happy Christmas to me, 2019. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was good. On another note, that Mir 1, it says on the side, and I'm sure, sure Carl would agree, uh, that this this uh, elevates it above other lenses. Yeah. It, won, it won the Grand Prix Brussels 1958. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What what is that? A camera Olympics? It's something on those lines, and uh, yeah, they it, it stayed on their lenses for a very long time. I think I'm not sure what year they actually finally stopped putting that on there. There was another lens that won as well. And I can't remember what it was now. Um, um, I think there were there were a couple of lenses that, that won a won, won a prize that year. It was just seems to be a big year, but nobody. I, you never see any. Um, you don't see that award given to absolutely anything else other than this. And I think there's another lens out there for some reason. So, so, so if I put the phrase uh, "winner of the road traffic safety quiz, Medway Junior School, 1979" on all of my <laughs> photogra photographic prints, do you think I'd uh, I'd sell more prints? Clearly, it, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just as relevant. Okay, so here's the next one. Hang on. Did, is this the one I mentioned? The Maya Optic Gorlitz Lidith 30mm 3.5. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a big pause. No, well, no, I've, no, I've yeah, bought a load of junk. No, not, no, 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 I don't, I don't think, I think it's a, it's a decent lens. It's, uh, um, it's just for, for me at least, I, I, I mean, clearly it's, it's far too cheap for Perry to have an opinion on this. Um, no, it, I was going to say that's the only lens from the ones mentioned so far that I'd be interested in. Why is that Perry? I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it seems to have what you guys call the, the Star Wars bloody grip thing where it's got oh yeah it looks stupid stripy, it's got the, yeah yeah the the what do you guys call it no that's a zebra oh, zebra that's yeah it. it's, it's not star, star wars is different star, oh god yeah yeah there's, it's a, right. yeah, there's, there's the star wars pankalar uh that okay. uh is a is a is a cool one but yeah the, the zebra's got the uh um it's it's black and white in parallel lines whereas the star wars one that goes at different angles and it's really groovy Ah, okay interesting so what would i use this lens for um apart, things... apart from a paperweight yeah well... i was just gonna say paperweight <laughs> but you beat me to it <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure no it's, it's fine it, it's a, it's, a, it's a decent lens and uh, yeah. you use it for anything where you might wish to use a a 30 fill 30 millimeter lens on full frame that would be a good right, use exactly. for it it's okay. a really nice focal it's a really nice focal length okay i think what i'm going to start doing because when, when i do Shoots, I normally have the D850 as the main camera, but I've, I have a D750, so maybe I could put 
an adapter on that and just have that for some yeah. bit of messing around. Yeah, you're going to have problems though, because it's it's going to be. I assume that's M42. Uh, yeah, so it won't go to infinity be a, right. and yeah. all that nonsense. Yeah. Ah, the joy. Yeah, let's pick on for you. Paperweight it is then. Um, then what's this one? You can uh, put it onto get, put it onto your Pentax. Get your, yeah, get an adapter. Put it onto your Pentax. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is one that right. The new one in my hand now is one I put on my Pentax with an adapter, and I got some really nice shots. And I believe it's in Cyrillic, but if I remember, it's the Indostar Fifty Two. 50 mm. millimeter 3.5 it's tiny mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. And, another good one for your pentax right but i got some really nice shots with that and i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that but i, I love the way it sort of fell off around the edges and stuff and really sharp in the middle um and it could make for an interesting portrait or two yeah i i mean i, I as a general rule i absolutely hate them um as a general as a general rule but as as I've had to uh, concede a few weeks ago, I, t- I took some shots. I was particularly pleased with the results of a, it. wasn't that particular model, but it was a, it was a, a similar a similar kind of thing. And it's I, I do have a little bit of a soft spot on that, especially if you again if you put it onto a helicoid as well. The the you can get some good effects close up, wide open with that lens. It, I really like that lens. Can I just say I really like that lens. Um, because you know, bang for your buck, it's super cheap and it performs well. But if you get one that's dead, it is also a wonderful uh, way to hold your paper it, down. No, it's it's a really good chassis for adapting other glass um, for modif- yeah, for doing modifications. That's, that's very true. And yeah. so, can you just un- unscrew the optical block out of it? Is that how that one works? Yeah, you probably can. You can probably just remove the retaining ring and then pop the optics out. Um, but this this chassis, this helicoid, and this body are used a lot uh, to yeah. convert things like Helios thirty three cinema lenses to like LTM or M thirty nine or things like that, or even M forty two or Sony. So this lens is just it's so cheap, it performs well as a fifty because it's a Tessar, right? So it'll be fine. And then if it breaks, you've got like raw ingredients for some epic dicking around. So I think it's I, I really like these. Oh well, that if, sounds like me. Epic if there are around. Cheap, yeah, if there's cheap broken ones, just send them to me. I'll take okay. all of them. Okay. <laughs> By the way, that 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 phrase, uh, I think that came from Isabel Curdes uh, when, mm-hmm. when when she was on. So if you if you've not listened to that podcast, go back because that's an incredible episode talking about dicking around with lenses. I mean, she just goes to extreme. I um I was fascinated by um, her change from well, her Hasselblad kit to. Fuji medium yes. format, and that's something that uh, I, I I I'm not a I love my gear and I love it, but at the end of the day I believe you know it doesn't matter what you shoot with the shot is the shot. But I do love having something good with lots of tolerance and space that allows you to pull stuff out. That's why I love resolution. I'm not like a mm-hmm. pixel peeping freak, but you know I had a D750. It was 24 megapixels. I could crop into it to a point. The D850 is what 45, 47 megapixels, and it just gives you so. If you're, it gives you a lot more scope in post production to actually choose a point of a shot because a lot of the stuff I do is not necessarily a bit like Isabel, but not to that extreme. I, I'll shoot things knowing there's a part of the part of it that I want, if you see what I mean, as opposed to framing a whole thing. I'll, I'll shoot situation knowing there's an element of it that i can pull out and that's the bit i really enjoy just sitting there in lightroom 
looking at a shot and thinking, what can I make from this? Um, as opposed to necessarily going in and composing a whole frame um, and doing all that stuff. And that's why I'm a bit scared that one day I'll just want a middle medium format digital camera. But um, that's for another another day. So, Dude, <laughs> GFX 50R prices are totally I know for, I know don't what they you are. get one for about three grand now and um, less secondhand they're they're like two thousand pounds here in Hong Kong I'll, man. I'll tell you what worries me Perry is why are people putting them on the market in the first place and that worries me because if they're that good people wouldn't be just chucking them away uh you no, know most people it, I, it, it, sorry go on Johnny I was get, I was gonna say you have to consider the user base of a camera exactly. like that the, those are people who have that much money to just screw around with and they use yeah. it for a little while and something better come new newer comes out and they just dump yeah. that and get another i mean it's the same thing with like used uh like a digital is the yeah. same way people will just they'll they'll have a perfectly good m10 that they've shot you know a few thousand frames on and then the newest thing comes out and they'll dump that and get the new one Exactly. So, so it's probably it's probably very light. <laughs> it would probably be very lightly used, and then you know a great a great find. Mm. Uh, having having just recently gassed somebody um, into buying one of these, <laughs> um, <laughs> shame on you. The people who are selling them, um, they're often in like mint condition because Johnny's right. right. The people who are selling them either have bought that plus a fifty S plus a one hundred. And, right. are, and decided they just they like the 50s better and can deal with the size, or they upgraded to a GFX 100, or uh, yeah, they're just bored of it now and they're selling it and getting like an M10 monochrome, right, right, right. right. Or they're wow. using it to you know finance like a Hugo Meyer lens or something, you know. So they're actually they're being dumped because of the exactly what Johnny said, the the user base. So I would actually be much more confident in buying a secondhand GFX than like. A secondhand um, entry level Fuji, which is probably yeah. been sitting in someone's <laughs> yeah. tour bag, being chucked around Wrecked. the world. Right? Yeah. Well, that that's scary. Now you've got me onto another trip there. Um, okay, so <laughs> moving on to another lens. Um, waiting for some sniggers here because this I don't know what this is. A Helios Auto Wide Angle f two point eight thirty five mil. Hey, what is it? Piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> Standard. Well, we, well, this 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 is the lens that uh, famously uh, Graham Jago's got as well. Oh yeah, uh, and the, oh, you, you've, I've reduced myself down to his level, and you you, you slagged it off. Yes, um, well, I sort I sort of did, and it may be a perfectly fine lens, uh, but it's 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 not what people well, it's not what some people think it is, uh, because right. you, you see the word Helios, <laughs> and you you immediately think Russian or Soviet, and this isn't. Uh, this is a a Japanese uh, lens that's uh, the the name is was licensed out at, at some point in some period, but it, I think I, I think they, I'm not sure if you can actually get new Helios lenses now or not. But either way, um, this this goes back to the dark days, and I mean you can argue you know, since when is uh, the dark days have, of shit cameras? Yeah, but when when it's almost like uh, when have when have Soviet lenses been the been the peak of uh, lens manufacture? Um, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, this is it's it's why we like 
Russian lenses, and you've got a load of Russian and East German lenses there in in this list, yeah. and uh, and it's because they they there's just something about them. In many cases, there's variability, and some of them are just a bit odd, and some of them don't work as well as they should do, or they do something a little bit strange. Um, and even when they and when they're working right, this they can still be a little bit odd, but that that attracts us to them. Uh, yeah. where, whereas with this Helios, it's a Japanese OEM lens that is a perfectly decent lens and it's also perfectly forgettable at the same time. Well, now you've spurred me on to do some incredible stuff with it. Good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, I've always been a fan of the underdog. And uh, yeah, okay, so that's interesting. So now you're bringing me to the a thing I saw in a charity shop the other day, which just blew me away because it just looked like a, well, just a, a giant phallic symbol, frankly. But it, it's really interesting. It's a... Uh, the Rubinar 500mm F8, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a mirror in it, and it just makes me think of every spy movie I saw in the 70s. Um, and I, I did actually put it on my uh, D850 to take some pictures of some flowers in my garden. It was quite interesting. I'm pretty sure you can adapt that to a Hasselblad, and it'll cover 6x6. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a monster. Yeah, you're going to get wow. uh, typical mirror lens bokeh with that, you know. What does yeah, that mean? Weird. Donuts. So, you like donuts? Yeah. If you yeah, like donuts, you'll, you'll love it. But yeah. really thin donuts, you know, not the nice juicy bagely kind. Okay. So you're saying <laughs> it's you're, you're saying it's crap, basically. No, 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 no. no bokeh it... is going to have a big hole in the middle, basically. Okay. I see, of course, because of the uh, thing there, right. Yeah, because of the big thing in the middle. Yeah, yeah. All right, they, they're an acquired taste, and um, the Ru- Rubinars. The, I mean, the, with the Soviets, we're talking about another Soviet Soviet lens. Uh, there were, to my knowledge, there were two manufacturers of of those. Um, so you've got the Rubinars, or brands, I should say. Uh, you've got the Rubinars, and you also got the MTOs. And I believe the consensus is that the Rubinar lenses are better than the mtos um i don't know how true that is but either way what you're going to get with 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 that lens is low contrast um that's just how it is i don't think you get chromatic aberration with mirror lenses uh i think that's the case but i don't know if you're really that bothered about that but low contrast is going to be something that uh, you'll you'll notice um certainly i i was always boosting contrast uh with those but i think it's just a, a characteristic of the lens um and the other part is they're just really really difficult to actually use um because usually the the barrel is is pretty big i mean to be fair the 500 isn't too bad i mean i've used i've used an mto that was up to uh, it was 1100 millimeters and it was huge you could hardly span your hand around it so you needed almost like two hands to focus a thing you know so uh um so yeah they, they they're not particularly easy to use they, they're better off when you on a on a tripod you can do things that are moving but they're just it's just difficult um, so uh, for for me, they're, they're novelty lenses. You do them because you you want to have a go at them, and then you you tire tire of them very quickly, and then they disappear, and you get them sold. Well, I'm all about the novelty. Yeah. So the final one here um, is it's I was in um, where was I Hastings um, walking around. No, was it Hastings or Eastbourne? I was in. It was. Eastbourne, I think. Um, and there was a camera shop there. I went in and they had an amazing display of old cameras and lenses. But um, my eye, I caught my eye on this uh, Carl Zeiss Sonar 135 2.8. 
which is a contact mount, contact Yashica mount, uh, which I ended up buying. And it was really sweet because the guy, I asked for a discount. I actually got 25% off the lens. He, he said to me, held my hand, he said, you are going to use it, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I'll use it. <laughs> um, so he let me have it at um, 25% off. But it's, it's a lovely, heavy piece of glass. And it's on my Contax RTS2 at the moment. I tried it out last year on a photo walk in Brighton, but I still haven't developed the shots. But um, it th- looks like a good lens anyway. I don't know what you guys think. You're the experts. Yep, good lens. You got the AEJ version. Uh, try stopping it down a little for some Ninja Star bokeh. It's good. Okay. Other other things about it, um, you say it's heavy, uh, but I, last time I had one of those, I also had in my possession uh, the Leica equivalent of it as well for Leica R. And if you if you think the Zeiss one's heavy, you you pick up the the, the lights one, the, the Leica one, and you think, what have they done with this? Why why yeah. have, is this so heavy compared to an already heavy lens? And it's as if like, well, uh, Carl Zeiss but- have made it this heavy, so we need to make it heavier. <laughs> That's exactly why it's heavier. Counterbalance. <laughs> no, it's exactly why it's heavier. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that on the, the reason. <laughs> it's on the RTS two, which is quite a heavy camera, so uh, yeah. that kind of works. Yeah, it's a it's a be- it's a beautiful handling lens. I, I love the way how the, the the focus ring is massive. It looks like a zoom lens, like a push pull zoom lens, uh, but it's not. You know, it's obviously a prime. Um, the other the other interesting thing about that lens, especially if you compare it to the uh, the East German uh, Carl Zeiss Jena. Uh, one through five, three point five, is that the the contacts lens? Um, it, it's more, far more prone to flare than the East German lens. Uh, which I, I think know. I've got that. I think I've got that. Uh, cult, uh, the Yena one. Uh, it's got. Is that the one with like fifteen thingies in it? No, that that will be the um, Pentacon. Pentacon. Yeah. The Gorlitz. Yeah, that's yeah. I've got go. that. That's a yeah, cracking that's... lens in itself. Full um, of fungus. It's really annoying. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, but the 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 East German ver- effectively the East German version of that lens was slightly slower. Um, is is pretty much as good actually as the is uh, the Japanese and German German one for contact Shika in, in in my opinion in, in many respects except for handling because it's horrible. I really don't like the East German lens at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I, I in the end I didn't keep. Uh, even though I wanted one for years, I didn't keep mine um, because they had other 135mm lenses which were frankly the equal to it or better. Um, so it was just, I looked at it and I think this is, this is too expensive for seeing that I have other lenses that, you know, for a fraction of the price which are equally as good. So, uh, so that went. I mean, it's, it's, I, I also have a, the Nikkor uh, 135 2.8. Mm. AIS, which is a lovely lens, but I've never quite found a use for it. I mean, the, the times I've used it is when I do, st- I, I like street photography that's quite close. But some, I, I went out and did a project. I thought, okay, I'm going to go full zoom and um, create these really compressed shots with loads of perspective in them and get very graphic looking um, environments. And that's the only place I've, I've sort of used that lens. Mm. Um, whereas 135, you know, I'd go to, I've got the 105 2.5. AIS, which is great for portraits, but 135 is almost a bit too far. You get to that point where unless I'm on tripods and on legs, and I hate being on a tripod, 
you could get into wobble, you know, and it just makes it that bit more difficult to use. So I think it's a spying, a nosy spying lens, as far as I'm concerned. Well, well, Johnny, Johnny introduced us to the exact meaning for that lens, and I've been using it in exactly that that way, um, although not quite in the way that Johnny described it. Because I think Johnny. Uh, said that you should be wearing lederhosen and, and uh, walking up mountains um, mm-hmm. because it's a landscape lens uh, and picking out details in landscape that's that's my take on the 135 okay interesting i don't do yeah. do landscape so uh, i think i'll just i'll just try and spy on people i think that could be <laughs> thing. um so the other thing i have is um so i was contacted a couple of weeks ago by um Lomography, and they asked me if I was interested in looking at um, and playing with some lenses that they've made. So it's a, it's called their Neptune series, Neptune Art series. Now, I suppose it's a it's a manual lens, so I don't know if it's a classic lens, but it's a manual lens. But, it, but basically, the way that this whole system is essentially three lenses that come with a, an adapter. Um, so they're all fixed focus. Let's have a look. Hang on. Let's just pull these things out. It was sent in a box marked Tesco Color Bio Detergent Tablet. So it was sent in a dishwasher box, <laughs> but it was well wrapped. <laughs> so I'm just taking them out here. But essentially, you have three lenses. Uh, you've got Thalassa, which reminds me of Panthalassa by Miles Davis. Uh, so that is a 35mm 3.5. Then you have Neptune or, or Proteus of Neptune. Oh, no, hang on. Oh, Thalassa of Neptune. Oh, there must be some mythological connection here with all these. Then you've got Proteus of Neptune, which is a... Christ, what is that? 80mm F4. And then you've got Despina of Neptune. Oh, they, well, were they the daughters of Neptune? Mm. <laughs> Possibly. <Maybe. laughs> I'm going to look this up in a minute while yeah. you guys talk about it. Despina of Neptune, which is a 50mm F2.8. So... They're essentially lenses that come on a mount, but then they've got this interesting thing where you can slot in these different bokeh. Oh, they are in a little film canister. I thought that might have been a bit of uh, weed they put in there for me, but no, it's just oh, uh, bummer. a film canister. <laughs> I know. So essentially, they've got these little shapes. I've got a star. I've got a cross. I've it, got a it, teardrop. I just, I just looked, I just dots. looked this up, and it, it, these it looks amazingly like um, the lenses for. I know what you're gonna say. Uh, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for like the uh, what you call it, the bullseye. Um, well, for any of the those old interchangeable lens uh, Zeiss 35 millimeter cameras, uh, I was gonna say. Whoa, the, that's, the, that's the, not the, what I thought you were gonna say. Yeah, the bullseye uh, is co- is as is contracts. Uh, yeah, that's right. You're on about the other yeah. ones where you've. Um, it's it's got a, a fixed lens in the ca- in the camera, and then right. These, uh-huh. the I thought you were gonna try to say retina. Yeah. Well, or right, that same well. same base yeah. same same basic concept, yeah. So we all, yeah. We, we, so the, the, the Perry and I knew exactly what you were going to say, and and you said neither. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, were, <laughs> we had different ideas. So, uh, but yeah. But when you, I'm just going to say, you mentioned earlier about them being fixed focus. That's not quite the case, is it? Isn't the focus actually in the mount? Yes. Oh no. Yes. Hang on. So I mean, I meant yeah. a fixed um, focal length. Um, then it zooms uh, prime prime they look they look um, like fun to play with yeah so there's focus mm-hmm. in the mount and then there's a, a stepless sort of aperture ring as well is is there a glass element in the mount or is all the optics in the yeah uh, there's there's a, no. there is a there is a glass element in the yeah. mount uh, yeah. so it's like the redness style yeah. right stuff the other so, yeah. kl ones 
I'm assuming that gives you close focus and infinity focus or whatever. Used uh, to use a technical term. No, I, I, think no, it's, no. I think it's more, they're all, almost like working like teleconverters or there's a pass a teleconverter yeah. in one part and then the other bits click click into it. Right. It's, it's a simple, yeah. It's a, you, know, you can't just use the front the front part of it. Um, right. it, it needs no. to be paired up with the bit at the back. Yeah. Um, but it keeps the, it keeps the weight down in the other the other in the interchangeable parts of the lenses i think that's that's yeah. the advantage of it but um i think the the disadvantage would be that um usually when you when you've got a lens that requires another lens to work then it's a bit like using a teleconverter isn't it but I think people. I think the the optimal way to have a lens design is that everything works in harmony with with each other piece. Whereas this is designed that you've got you've got a starting point and you have to make the other bits work with the bit that sits next to the camera. And that is that always a good idea when you've got what? wide angles and and uh, longer. No, I mean, it, it, it. Perry, go. no, yeah. go ahead. No, no, I was I was going to say. I mean, it, it it totally works. I mean, this was. That, that's why I mentioned the bullseye. I mean, it was it was like the the pro system. But but the bullseye doesn't have an extra glass element. That's right. Yeah, reason- no, but it has the glass that sits inside the. It has the in in the body no, bit no, too. No, no, no. The contrast bullseye doesn't. No. Okay. You can totally adapt those lenses to other stuff, and they're gorgeous and phenomenal. Contaflex. Um, I think you're talking about Contaflex. Conta- yeah, not I'm the- talking about the Contaflex. Yeah. yeah. We, the- oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the Contarex. No. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, the bullseye is a is a contorex. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what John is talking about is a contorex. Gotcha. Because on the retina, it, the retina system, it makes sense because they are fitting a shutter in between the rear glass elements and the front ones. Um, so here, I think it's just a design choice, right, to save them space and manufacturing complexity. A novelty factor as well. It's it's perfectly it's a perfectly acceptable and mm. fine yeah. way to do it. I mean, I, it, it, I mean, really, it is, it is, and yeah. it, it 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 makes sense why they're why they're doing it, and it. I'm sure these things would be fun to play with. Yeah, because um, you you have the aperture add-ons, right? So the space yeah. in between. Yeah, it totally yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a, it it does look and feel like a very lomography product, if you know what I mean. Yeah got that that something quirky something different to play with that might give you interesting results scary thing i've just opened the box and there was a there's a little almost a contract in there all goods not returned to lomography uk within two months and without prior arrangement will always be invoiced to the borrower at the full recommended retail price no. looks like i've got eight weeks to try this thing out if i've got the time before they're going to make me buy it um, so I, it's on higher purchase <laughs> basically I, I had no idea <laughs> i better get shooting with this thing um but yeah, that should be interesting. Another thing too. But at least it's all F mount, so I can just sort of just get it on the camera and play with it and see what yeah. see what I can do with this thing. Um, it should be interesting. I love I love a quirky toy. I think what I might do with this stuff is try some portraits and see what I can get with it. But um, we shall see. Time is the enemy, right? Time is the thing. <laughs> it's like I the, the thing I've found more and more is that I, I've got kit to play with i've got cameras and i've got the intent but that it's just hard to find the time to get out and do things that's why i love doing photo walks because it focuses everybody gets everyone together and everyone encourages everyone to you know photo take pictures um which is such a nice thing yeah yeah no, exactly no, I, I agree um, yeah right i i think we 
we need to start bringing things uh, to a, to a close now. Um, but uh, we do have some emails, uh, but I we we haven't really got it, enough time to do to do the majority of them justice. Um, so, but there is one email that we must do because uh, it's from Bob Matter, um, and uh, and as Anil said earlier when I said about this, um, that matters. Uh, so, um, <laughs> um, so, um, and not only that, Bob actually has not only written to uh, the Classic Lenses podcast, he's also written the same email into the uh, Large Format Photography podcast as well. So he really wants to get this the, the word out uh, about this. So, uh, Johnny, do you want to uh, read out Bob's Bob's email? Uh, yeah, as soon as I find it, is this the John Beasley? It is. Okay, so let me open this up. Let's see what Bob has to say. Bob says, um, Simon, please make this announcement on the CLP and LFPP uh, and exhibit a large format salt prints and wax salt prints from the 1850s by photographer and Egyptologist John Beasley Green is on display at the Art Institute of Chicago now through May 25th, 2020. Additionally, admission to AIC is free for Illinois residents on weekdays now through March 4th. And there is a link. Uh, and Bob says, I encourage visitors to also view the continuously rotating exhibit of photographs from the museum's permanent collection located in the lower level. Be like Carl, Bob Matter, Chicago. Yeah, that looks like a good one. I'm glad, I'm glad he mentioned this. I'm going to go check that out. I haven't been over there in ages because it's too expensive for me to go anymore. Uh, but it is, in fact, free right now. Uh, so this is a great time to go. It certainly is. And uh, actually, um, let's do one one other email because it's very, very similar to this. Uh, and it's the one from James Thorpe uh, regarding Joseph Sterling. James Thorpe. Okay, one moment. Let me go back to Joseph Sterling. Okay. Um, James Thorpe says, this one's mainly for Johnny. Uh, if I was in Chicago, I'd definitely check out this gallery exhibit. And this gallery exhibit is, I'm just clicking through the link and I'm going to tell you all about it. Monovisions.com is the website it is slowly taking me to. Um you still okay, wind, but, up, wind up internet there. <laughs> yeah. Black and white phot photography magazine. Uh, early and unknown photographs from the archive of Joseph Sterling. So, and then I'm going to, I'm just going to read you like the first paragraph here. Um, born in Texas in 1936, Joseph Sterling was an avid photographer as a teenager. After seeing an image by Harry Callahan, he made his way to Chicago to study with him at the now famed Institute of, hold on, pop up window coming up into the screen here, a now famed Institute of Design ID. There he developed his vision and completed a master's degree culminating in his thesis project in which he embedded himself with a group of mid-century American teenagers at the peak of rock and roll, aptly titled The Adolescent Comedy. The project consists of hundreds of some of the angstiest, heartwarming, and timeless images on the subject. Uh, so I will put a link... This link as well. Uh, one moment. Okay. So yes, I will. I will share this link as well. Um, Does it just just I'll scroll down that link uh, that, that's in there? And the, and the have you seen the photograph at the bottom? Um, uh, there's a, there's, there's a, it's a street. It's a street photograph taken at night. 
and uh, it, it there's, there's a there's a gentleman looking in in one direction, uh, more or less in the same direction as the sign that's behind him, uh, which is saying "Try your free chest chest X-ray." <laughs> but he's got such a cool outfit on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really loose in his relaxed baggy suit. But for me, oh yeah. There's a shot, two shots up with the two boys, and there's the uh, on the river. It's got a real Huckleberry Finn vibe. Yes. But what, what, what's interesting oh, about all these yeah. is that. They're, they're from a time way back, but they, they're, they're quite modern. You know, yeah. they've deliberately captured people with blurs and um, lots of blurred stuff. It, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 That, no, that's great. Um, yeah, that, that, that era of photography is really interesting. And the Institute of Design, um, I mean, some of, well, I mean, both of my photo mentor people, <laughs> um, Barbara Crane and Ken Josephson both studied there in that era uh, with Harry Callahan um, and also teaching there at the same time um, is, uh, oh my God, I'm spacing on his name, uh, Art Sinsabaugh. So like basically all of my favorite and most influential photographers all came out of the Institute of Design uh, in that era, either studied there, taught there or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's some really interesting work. Um, that's definitely a good one. So I'm going to check both of those out. So thank you. Uh, personally, I want to say thank you to both of you for those recommendations. That's great. It, it seems like Chicago is the place to be for exhibitions at the moment. Yeah, I guess so. Um, there's always a lot going on here photographically. So um, we've got the Museum of Contemporary Photography. And um, yeah, there's a, there's always a lot going on uh, in the photo world. So here in Chicago, I must say. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, one more thing that need to do, and that's to say thank you to those people who have donated to the show since last time. And uh, I'll just bring uh, things up. Where are we? Up to date 17th. So um, we've had a couple of donations. So uh, thank you very much for those two. Uh, one from Nigel Cliff and uh, saying another, another great shoe guys. Uh, I think that means show. I think I think it must be shoegaze. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I think uh, Nigel's been <laughs> typing on his phone there with uh, with um, autocorrect, not quite helping him out too well. Um, yeah, shoegaze. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm, I'm one of the saddos who who mentally converts the focal length uh, when they go from Fu Fuji to uh, and Olympus. I think we all do. Especially um, those of us that you shoot different. Uh, crop sensors and things uh, I think it's just a natural thing to do to make sense of the world um, and then uh, Jared Temp Tremper has also uh, donated to us and he says here glad my wife and I can bring sunshine to Johnny's day at central camera uh, <laughs> I, I suppose I need to head down more often until then have a cup of have a cup of coffee uh, a cup of coffee will suffice very much Okay, um, so thank thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Gerard. Um, and uh, um, Anil, um, thank you for being with us again. It's been great to have you with us. Oh, it's been a big pleasure, guys. It's been yeah, uh, really nice to be on the show. It's been a while, hasn't it? It yeah. has. It has. And yeah. uh, so um, you've you've mentioned a, a, a couple of ways of, of the well, the people have obviously buying things off you and such, but uh, perhaps you want to give us a, a rundown of the places where you can be found online. Okay. Uh, so on Facebook, there's an, uh, I have a site, a page, Animal Mystery Photography. Um, on 
Twitter, I'm at Anil Mystery. That's A-N-I-L-M-I-S-T-R-Y. And then my website is anilmysteryphoto.com. And on Instagram, I'm at Anil Mystery Photo. Excellent. And uh, have you got any shout outs? Um, uh, no, I would say my shout outs are to you guys. Uh, you do an amazing job. And, you know, I my day job is I commute in and out of London most days. And uh, that's two hours there, two hours back minimum. And whenever there's a new episode of your show available, uh, it just makes my day because it's something great to listen to on the way in and on the way out. So uh, bless you and keep it going, fellas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Um, so that that means we should we'll continue to make two hour shows. Uh, yes, please. Uh, minimum. <laughs> minimum. This this seems to be the consensus among uh, uh, commuter listeners. <laughs> no, but I, I think the point is it, it's what I've realised. I listen. I listen to a lot of photography podcasts, and if they're too tightly formatted, it feels too much like a, just a little moment. And when people talk on, you guys probably think you're rambling, but when you're what you think is rambling you're actually just talking naturally and enjoying what you're talking about and that makes for a more interesting conversation for everybody else because you guys aren't concerned about the time and we all enjoy it so please keep it up excellent um well thank you very much um yeah so uh perry have you got a shout out this week uh i don't think so okay johnny i do i have i have three shout outs um uh, the first is from uh, Hong Jun Lee, who uh, I must say, uh, in the cast of characters that I see regularly at Central Camera, he is one of the most omnipresent. <laughs> so Hong Jun Lee and uh, and Bob Matter uh, and Robbie J when he's in town <laughs> are, th- are three of uh, the most frequent visitors. But Hong Jun Lee, he'll he'll usually come in first thing in the morning to pick up his processing his photo processing and then he'll drop by later in the day to drop off more processing and then he comes in like another time randomly during the day just for i just i don't know why um so i, I typically see him about three times a day <laughs> so it's and it's always good to see you uh and and um he's he's always got uh something going on to chit chat about uh, and what he, he, the other day he brought me, uh, we were talking about food. And so we were talking about food, uh, during his morning visit. And then in his afternoon visit, he brought me a couple of printed out from the internet, great reads, uh, that are food recommendations that I will share with you all in the, in the notes. But he, he wanted me to mention these, uh, to you in particular, Perry. Um, and the one is this uh place called uh great sea restaurant which is a chinese korean uh place in albany park that is known for its lollipop style chicken wings Ooh, yeah and he and and he thought in particular perry that you would be a big fan of these wait is he making me he's making restaurants restaurant recommendations in chicago for me Yes, but I think the idea I think the idea was that you would probably be familiar with this particular delicacy. You know, you know, Perry, that, that really famous Asia, ancient Asian recipe, lollipop chicken wings that's yeah. been around for three thousand well, years. Well it, it it sounds like it's sort of a um uh a 
hybrid fusion Asian. Oh, I know what they are. They're yeah. really damn yummy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he he thought you would appreciate those, yeah. and he, he and then he brought me another mm. another link, um, and this one is about. Uh, oh, what is this stuff called? It's um, well, it's about Korea's Black Day. And it says the the art the article title is Korea's Black Day when sad single people get together and eat black food, <laughs> and there there is a bowl of uh, Jangjang Myeon noodles. I'm sure I have not pronounced that right. I'm sure I have not pronounced that right. Oh my god, um, that's hilarious. Yeah, but it's uh, let's see, is it chocolate something with? chocolate and noodles and i'm not sure no it's not chocolate it's it must be like a bean paste right yeah it's just uh i'm looking I, at... I, I think i've had this and it's pretty yummy it's like korean goth cuisine <laughs> essentially <laughs> korean goth I, I, cuisine yes yeah I don't think emo eats uh the chinese style noodle dish is one of south korea's national foods it says here Right. Um, yeah, it's like yeah. a black bean, or like not not necessarily black bean, but like a bean paste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's delicious. Yeah, it's yeah. Right, right. It is a bean paste. Yeah, exactly. So he, so both of these, Perry, you you kind of came up in reference to both of these food wise. So I will I will share these two links um, in the program notes. And uh, thank you very much for those. Yeah, and Hongjun, he's he um he is a big fan of Canopy, and he is a big fan of the Nikkor H50 F2 LTM, which I hooked him up with one of those that we had at Central Camera, and I he just he adores that lens, um, as do I. So does he? Glad. Does he listen to the podcast? Oh yeah, he is a big podcast okay. listener. So assuming that he's listening, um, I do love Korean food. So if I ever do end up coming to Chicago, uh, which I may be able to do because flights are pretty empty right now um and therefore super cheap because you know coronavirus and protests and stuff uh, <laughs> right hanjun come back to johnny and give him your recommendations uh for the best gamja tongue and spicy takbogi uh and maybe like a korean fried chicken and then we'll come to that because he seems to have good taste. I gotta say, buffalo oh, wings he, are oh, yeah. my weak weakness. They're like my kryptonite. You put I, buffalo I'm just, wings in front of me, and I just yeah. do whatever you want. I just gotta say, Perry. He he asked me also in the course of this conversation if you were ever going to come to Chicago. So I have a feeling if you do show up here, we would have an epic visit um, of eating all over town. So. So I highly recommend you get your ass here, and we'll set up a huge eating photo. Uh, journey across chicago <laughs> all right i i might be able to do that because i basically am out of uh out well, of you need toilet paper so you, you, no, no, you... I, I, I got toilet paper now Two people oh you bailed do me out yeah, okay. yeah we got, i got toilet paper now but i'm basically not i, I can't i can't work until like mid-march because i was gonna say you just, didn't they down. just close the schools down for another month right 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 so i might as well like take advantage of cheap air tickets um yeah. and fly staff standby over to uh Chicago, because I think it'll cost me like a hundred bucks to get over there. Oh, spot. you you should you should yeah. do it, especially as it gets a little bit closer to March, because the weather won't be as crappy, and the we might have some sunlight by then. Do you have ice and fishing? Ice fishing? Yeah. Well, there's not really any ice, so or just fishing. You could just do fishing. I could take you to that spot. I posted that photo of the guy who caught the huge uh, lake trout. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm I, there. 
Yeah, I could take you there. And also, you could maybe time your visit uh, for the start of smelt season. And we could go out Ooh. and I could take you out along the uh, the lakefront and we could go chat with all the smelt fishermen and you could probably drink Malort and do some smelt fishing. So uh, oh God this it. is turning into an epic visit, Perry. You're really so. trying to get Malort down our throats. But yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Perry. Perry, yeah. if you ever come to uh, the UK, I live I live by the sea and I have a, a kayak and you're welcome to take it out and pull some mackerel out of the sea. There's loads of mackerel Sweet. where I live. Sweet. I do like going to the UK. Um, yeah, For a laugh. <laughs> welcome yeah. to our joke. Yeah. And don't, and, <laughs> we live in it. And don't, don't forget to come to Stoke-on-Trent where you can have bacon and cheese oatcakes. In beautiful pottery. <laughs> well, if Stoke were still in the Premier League, that would be a, a draw. Oh. But uh, Ooh. You know, we don't count anymore now, do we? Oh, I go to Brighton. Uh, we can watch Brighton Hove Albion. Yeah. All right. All right. My son works there. He'll probably serve you a drink Sweet. and maybe sneak you a free pie. <laughs> oh, look at all these. Look at all these awesome travel opportunities. It's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Traveling food. You can't travel go wrong. That's it. You might as well just do a world tour, Perry. <laughs> all right. All right, back to the shout-outs. So I, <laughs> <laughs> you see what you did, Hong Jun Lee? You got us all off on the food here. So, okay. Um, uh, well, I'd also say a quick shout-out to uh, Ron Whiteman, who I saw very briefly on Saturday. He just sort of breezed in um, and said, you know, he just wanted to say hello because uh, he was in town with his wife. I think they were in for the symphony, um, if Ron from uh, Minnesota. So, that was really super cool to see, Ron. And actually, uh, interestingly enough, we talked about the Fuji uh, XF10 and the what is it, the X70. We had a little chat about those because he's Ooh. a yeah, he's a big fan of the uh, 70 as a pocket yeah. camera. Oh, yeah. I'm crying inside right now. I'm crying. Yeah, so we had a whole chat about that. Um, but the the no flip screen was a deal breaker for him oh, on the Jesus XF10. <laughs> so make of that what you will. Uh, and then uh, I also on Saturday I had a chat with uh, uh, Patrick Venari, who was in town with his uh, his wife and I believe his daughter, and they were in town. And he's a longtime listener and wanted to say hello and had very fine things to say about both of you other two gentlemen on this podcast. So thank you, Patrick, for stopping in and saying hello. That was super cool. Yeah. And hopefully I haven't missed anyone else. If I, if I have, uh, good to see you all as well. Excellent. Awesome. So great, great, great shouts out there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, what, can, what can we say? Um, I, don't think I've got too many shout outs this week. In fact, I don't think I've got any. Um, so I'll just say, come and see me at the Six Towns Dark Room in Stoke on Trent on the Tuesday night. Um, and uh, but that's getting even, it's going to get to the point where it's actually quite popular, um, which is which is pretty cool, really, for something that wasn't, nothing was really happening there a year ago. And now we have, I think, I think we've got eight members. I think there might be a couple more people that are thinking of coming down. So, uh, yeah, if you fancy having a go at uh, proper printing, uh, not the kind that Arnold does. In a dark room, um, then uh, which, which which really is the best kind of printing, I've got to say. Not that I can actually 
make a print that I'm particularly happy with, uh, but that's 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 all part of the fun, isn't it? Really. Um, so uh, so that's on a, a, a Tuesday night, and uh, that's that's pretty much it for for me. So um, seeing that it was it was ages ago since I last uh, spoke to Anil. Thank you again, Anil, uh, for being you're, with us. <laughs> you're very welcome. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and that's it. Um, uh, things to mention uh, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and it's called Octo Blues um, you can oh I've just realised we still you need totally to go back totally forgot to, the outro yeah there's uh, well the thing is John, Johnny no no I didn't forget it this time because I shouldn't be doing the outro yet because Johnny hasn't finished things and that's uh, so Johnny um, how, how can people keep in touch with us and do stuff and contact us on the show and things like that Okay, so you should send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com, which we have proven yet again. We actually read them. Proven it again today. So uh, send us an email there. Um, also, of course, follow the podcast at classiclensespodcast.com, where you can get the full show notes, of which there will be many for today's episode. So um, uh, I've actually been taking notes today as I mean to do every week, but I've actually done it today and I have links for every, almost, well, not everything, but all, many of the things that we talked about today. Uh, so you can do that at classiclensespodcast.com. If you are on Instagram, please check out, uh, best vintage lens on Instagram and they have great photos, uh, every single day, uh, that are made with classic lenses. And of course, also there you will find, uh, Ricardo Bayon's um, weekly, almost weekly uh, review of the sh review slash uh, notes from notes of the show of each podcast, which are of course better than the podcast itself. So you want to make sure you check that out while you're there. Um, what am I missing, Simon? What did I, I miss? I, th I think we did. Did I miss something? Where, where are we on Facebook and things like that? I don't think so. No. Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, there's that then. Okay. Um, well, that's it then. So I'll I'll start. Oh so wait, I did forget <sighs> something. Uh, YouTube. You need to. You need you. If you want to look at something on a monitor and listen to the podcast at the same time, um, you can do that on YouTube. So go to look for Classic Lenses Podcast on YouTube. There yes. We go. And uh, this week in particular, every time you hear Simon say something, you should pause the podcast and then pull up a, a Nelly song and listen to that and then go back to the podcast. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to add a, an outtake in now just so it, it was, can understand that. It's really that interesting. In it's really interesting to discover that Simon has been to every Nelly concert in the UK ever. <laughs> Such a massive fan. Simon, you've amazed me. <laughs> I'm full of surprises, aren't I? There yeah. You know. look at, look at you, um, oh, I didn't mention our sponsors. Oh, that's very true. Yeah, well, of course we have Jep Jepson's Malort is our in no way actually affiliated sponsor uh, for the Classic Lenses podcast, and and I you know what I think I mentioned them in the shout as a shout out uh, the other day, but I think we should just add these guys as a a sponsor to the podcast just because I want to say that say their name every week now. Uh, that of course would be Fuck Yo Swag. Uh, <laughs> so Fuck Yo Swag and Jepson's Malort, thank you very much for sponsoring in no way the classic lenses podcast i i think i think we need a, a little bit of an explanation as to what fuck you shag <laughs> fuck, fuck. 
that's the UK version. Yeah, and, and this, you, yeah. And none of that is going to get bleeped either. So because it's no. it's, it's a trade name, it's a proper so, it's a proper what title. It? What is it exactly? Well, they are they are uh, they 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 are producers of content. So they do video production generally of, uh, you know, stuff going on here in Chicago and elsewhere. Um, and I, I think they are um, an unofficial uh, dispensary, marijuana dispensary, which make of that what you will. It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, and they're just all around interesting guys. So I think, you know, check, check out fuckyoswag.com. That's what film canisters are for, people. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. If you want to join Simon, you can uh, join him for an L in the back of a Benzie. <laughs> oh, come do you on! Mean, it's do a you Nelly mean reference. Ben- I thought you meant benzodiazepine. No. Oh, you mean a Nelly, Nelly ride with me? Benz. Yeah. If you want to go and take <laughs> Sorry, a ride with me, three women on the pole with the Goldies. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. So, so I when, feel so uh, old right yeah. now. So, 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 Anna, when you mentioned about us rambling, and um, we think that we are rambling and going on for too much, it's really interesting. Are you? Are you entirely sure about that? Yeah, I am. Uh, no, no, guys, conversation—it's just nice. It's com- the, the point is, it's like being in the room with you guys, and it's lovely. Is the only Nelly song you've ever heard hot in here? Yeah, that's the only one I ever wanted to hear. Oh, come on. (laughs) Country Grammar is his best one, because now I'm just imagining Simon walking down the road with his camera, singing like, Street Sweeper Baby Cock, Ready to Let It Go, because it's like... (laughs) Such an OG. That that could refer just as much to his horizon as a good gun. There's an image I won't be able to wipe from my eyes for a very long time. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's 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 end the show as quickly as we can. No, let's keep going. This is just getting better getting and better. Hot in here, Simon. Yes, but yeah. You better take off all your clothes. Yes, right. Um, so that's, this has been the Classic Lenses podcast, um, um, and um, you're going to hear our outro music. It might even be playing right now, uh, and it's uh, called Octo Blues by Kevin McLeod in Competech. Oh, that's Johnny making rumbling noises there uh, in Competech.com um, so that's it I hope you've enjoyed this week's show uh, well done if you have and, and, and if you're still here and um, so uh, if you can, be like Carl oh there you go chaos All at right. the end yeah. awesome hey. right. That's your new anthem for when you go. That's exactly how I picture a life with Simon if we were to hang out. Carl's Carl's ice, uh, sonar. 2.8135. 2.8135. Yeah, that's a good lens. For my uh, contacts. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a nice really lens. really heavy. Uh, but I took that out on a photo walk and that was lovely. Really, is, it, really is, it, what, is it MM or AE? CT style, Carl's Ice. No, no, it won't say it. Doesn't... Green. Aperture F22, is it green or white? Uh, F22 is white. Uh, You've got Ninja Stars. I've got ninja stars. Yeah. Yeah, when you stop it down a little, the aperture will be ninja star shaped. Ooh. Exciting. 
Well, let's have a good play with that. Made in Germany or Japan? Uh, let's have a look. Um, how can I tell? It'll say on the base. Oh, yeah. <laughs> made, in, made in Japan. Okay, AEJ. Cool. Nice. My God, you're geeky. <laughs> you're like me and my... I thought I was, you're as geeky about cameras and lenses as I am about soul and funk on vinyl. Hey, you, you, you go on Sunny 16 and get yelled at for buying cameras. That will not happen here. I, I know. Those guys are like... They'll happily use a box brownie all day. Oh, I'm so glad that they didn't give, like, do, what, do, what, do to me what they did to you when you were talking about point and shoots because I was like, uh, I think I'm a lot worse than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's not a good sound. Look at that. All that. Was that you, Anil? What? What happened? It was like... Yes. Yeah. No, that was me. Yeah, I just took my headphones off and took my sweater off. It's getting oh, a bit okay. warm in here. Yeah. It's getting hard in here. <laughs> that's exactly what came into my head as well. Jesus Christ. And I took I off think, all my clothes. Simon would be the one to start singing Nelly. Oh, man. <laughs> Who'd have thought it, eh? Oh, dear.